All right, guys, welcome back. This is episode 32 of the Independent Intel Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Bugamani, and today I have a special guest off script. He's back yet again. Uh, last time we did a segment, we were talking about really the preseason heading into the SWAC season. The spring season already ended. Now we're here to talk about the fall season of the SWAC, and a lot's happened since the last time we talked. But before we dive into it, I want to let Scotty, you know, talk about how he's been, how his YouTube channel Offscript has been doing since it started and what it is now and what you've enjoyed the most. So, Scotty, I'm going to let you take the floor and talk about that. Man, appreciate you. Appreciate you for having me back on. You know what I'm saying? Just, you know, you know, it was, it was I remember the first time you asked me and I was like, hell yeah, I'll do it. You know, oh, I don't know if I can cuss. I apologize. But I was like, heck yeah, I'll do it. You know what I'm saying? And and now, you know, you're doing what you're doing and, and me continuing to do what I'm doing. Uh, it's great. Uh, but, you know, Offscript has been growing crazy uh, since the last time we talked. Uh, you know, just the brand is growing, got the merch and everything like that. And with the season in the, with the, with the fall season hitting hard, you know, more people are coming onto the channel and, and, uh, calling into the show and things like that, trolling me, me trolling them back, you know, so it's just the fun aspect of it, man. So it's been a blessing, uh, good and bad, man. Good and bad for real. Yeah, man, I've been able to witness all of that from the time you really started and from the time up to now. Um, football knowledge is underrated. I feel like I think a lot of people obviously come to your channel and want to witness, you know, troll and engage with fans. But when it comes down to breaking the film, you're solid at that. You're well up on all the teams that are in the swag, which is very important because you need to have knowledge encompassing all teams and avenues. And so that's great. It makes your content even greater to witness. And I really appreciate what you're doing. Um, it's a revolutionary in a sense. And, you know, I just wanted you to continue to evolve and grow. And it's sky's the limit for you, to be honest. Hey, appreciate you, my boy. And the same thing with you. You know, I remember the first time we did that. So I was like, man, like, you're so professional. Like this, is, this, <laughs> I was like, I'm so rough around the edges and you're so professional. And it's, it's, it's been a blessing to see you grow as well. And I listen to your stuff, even, you know, your other podcasts and your other interviews that you've had. So definitely, definitely love checking your stuff out. All right, for sure. I appreciate that. And we're going to dive right into it. Another big topic on hand, Jackson State dominating, which is kind of what we all somewhat expected. Uh, but I don't think anybody expected them to do what they did to Alabama and now 10 sacks, 61 points, sole possession of first place in the Swackies. But that's all JSU was able to accomplish last Saturday. And, you know, the Bulldogs really only able to manage eight yards rushing. Aquil guys, like I stated before, was sacked 10 times and they dominated 61 or 15. Uh, I saw the, the pregame show leading up to it. Really, you made a whole week dedicated to that game and you picked Alabama and now. And very quickly, we all kind of realized early that wasn't going to happen. But what's the <laughs> wasn't going to happen? But what was the thing that resonated to you early, where you were like, because you were at the game. We talked about how you were at the game. When did you really realize from jump, like, ah, it's going to be a long day for AM? Two, Two, uh, two things. And yes, I was at the game. I was on the sideline. I was on the Alabama A&M side. Alabama A&M side. Um, the play action that they fumbled on, uh, the, the the fumble for touchdown, because if you're watching the play, you, you have to, and this is my thing, you have to understand what, what you are and what, and what that team is not, right? So you can't go into a fight trying to change your style. If Akil had to throw the ball 50 to 60 times, that's just what you had to do because you are a pass-first team. So the problem with the play action for me was, and the play that happened is, you knew you was going to throw the fade. Everybody in the building knew you was going to throw the fade. Watch, try to fake it. Stop it. That that's that's just my mindset when it comes to attacking because Jackson State's not going Jackson State gonna line up and do what they do. They're gonna tell you to stop it. Okay, cool. We're we gonna line up and do what we do. 
and you got to stop me. And I don't like the cute stuff about it. I sometimes in football, it's like, hey, I'm going to throw my right hook. You just, you know what I'm saying? Like, Dante, like you got to be like Dante Wilder sometimes. Like, look, all I got is this right hook. And if I land, I got you. And I think Alabama and them try to get too cute and it, it kind of backfired on them. But on the same token is they were never going to win that game because their defense couldn't show up. So it was either going to be this. It was either going to be a shootout where Jackson State was probably going to come out ahead because they can get more stops or it was going to be what you saw a massacre so it was either going to be one or the other yeah off rip when JSU went up 20 nothing it was over because like you stated Alabama and M's defense just isn't good enough to uh coincide with an off day by the Alabama and M offense That's and I felt like you were right they wanted to come out and establish the run to kind of make the JSU defense pay homage to that they weren't able to do so and I did feel like over time you do got a ride with the hot hand that got you here. It's a kill glasses arm. And I know the last week against Grambling State, he had four picks. So it's kind of like, okay, we don't want to ride his arm and intensify the chances of him turning the ball over. So let's balance things out. And it didn't work that way. But another thing that really this game was truly won, the line of scrimmage. Uh, and then wasn't able to get any type of pressure defensively with their front four. And then on the offensive end, their O-line couldn't protect a kill glass to save his life. You talked about how there were some times where glass did drop back to pass and he took some unnecessary sacks. Do you still feel like he probably was eventually, inevitably going to have a high sack total game? But were there a few sacks you felt like seeing it live, he could have prevented by throwing the ball away or just getting it out quicker on some hot route type actions? So um, seeing it live, I have to be honest with you, I, I couldn't tell because when you're on the field, everything is that even level, so you don't have that eye in the sky. But going back and watching the film, I would say at least six were just guaranteed. Like it was nothing he could have done that they just, I mean, they just straight, I mean, said hike, boom, they're in the backfield. Now, there were a couple of times, and what people have to understand is when they're, and I know people, some people are going to be watching, and some people are going to be listening, a cover zero or a cover one man high is everybody's locked into a man. So when you do that and everybody else is blitzing, or cover zero is when everybody's locked into a man, there is no safety. You have to pick a guy. You can't, you, there's, they're always going to bring more than what you can block. So you don't have time to go one to two to three. That's not possible. You have to pick a guy and ride with it. They're just that's you got to ride with it. So if if it's not there, you throw it, throw it to the stands, throw it to the cheerleaders, but just throw the ball. Don't take unnecessary sacks. And there was about three or four plays that I think he double hitched for no reason because you don't have time for that. So that's and as a fifth year senior, I I can't that that's not that's unexcusable for me. It is unexcusable. I agree with that. And now his next game is against FAMU. They're just as dominant defensively in the SWAC. Uh, looked at their schedule in the totality. Outside of that South Florida game where they gave up 38, everybody else that's in the SWAC or in HBCU school overall has scored no more than seven points. So you're going against a defensive team that's dominant and stunned its own right. And at this point, I think everybody knows what Akil Glass is. He's the type of player that has, in my opinion, NFL caliber talent. Now the scouts are coming out to see how is he able to play against elite level defenses. Now I'll go out on him and say this, and I'll ask you in terms of seeing if you agree. I don't think he played as bad last game. I think his worst game was Grambling because Grambling wasn't getting in the backfield as much with their front seven like JSU was. So there were times where Grambling was like you stated in the show, they were dropping eight and it's like, okay, against a zone coverage or extra secondary looks where are you going to go with the football and he started forcing the issue in this game when he had time because Jackson State is a man coverage team he was actually dissecting them apart 
um, CJ Holmes is getting that work high key. But, you know, he didn't have enough time to really utilize and kind of zero in on the weaker corner. So, God fam, you coming up next. What can he do at this point of his career to showcase to the scouts that he still has what it takes to be an NFL caliber quarterback? Um, it's when you when you uh, evaluate the whole team, you kind of see that the offensive line is the weak link of this team with a with a high level D line. So what is as a scout, if I was a scout, how I'm looking at it is how do you deal with the pressure? Are you are you scared of it? Do you step into it? Are you you know are you, do you take the hit, throw the ball? You know, are you making the right pre reads? Are you setting up your O line because there's quarterbacks? I mean, when you go to that next level, the offensive line is not always making the line calls and adjustments of how they should be blocked because you know if I know where I want to if I know I want to go to the ball with the right like so let's say uh, Hilaire Abdullah Hilaire is on the right hand side. Well, I'm gonna shift my protection to the right. So I know I can, I have that time. Or if I'm saying, okay, I want to see the pressure and I want to shift my line to the left so I know who's coming at me and I know you can do it either one or the other. So I think scouts are going to be looking at that. Um, if in looking forward to that game, I, I, me and my girl was actually going to go to that game, but she was like, nah, like, you know, it's her birthday weekend. So she's like, I don't want to go there no more. But um, I think they have a good, I don't think they're going to get, shut out like they did against Jackson State because they don't bring, they're not a man-heavy team, like a man cover zero blitz. But what they will do is they will catch a kill slipping because he does stare down his receivers. He does have a habit of staring down his receivers. And in a zone coverage play that um, FAMU does play, he he could get caught. He can get caught in some picks. Yeah, those two games, Grandpa State, JSU, a kill 62 of 102, 739 yards, six touchdowns, four interceptions. So, He's had some good, had some bad. I still think that I know a lot of Jackson State fans after the game were like, yeah, man, the kill ain't all that special. I still think he's a special talent. I just feel like a better team with a better game plan blitzed him. And I don't really think coming into that football game, they honestly thought JSU was going to come with that much heat. When they played in the spring, it wasn't as much heat. Now, granted, we all know Dion kept saying, don't have my personnel. Personnel's there now. And it was a lot of heat brought to them, and they really didn't have any answer. But – I will say this, not just the kill. I still think AM probably has maybe the best receiving core in the SWAC. They have NFL caliber receivers out wide. Uh Zabrion Moore and number 85, his name, you know, Abdul. Missing me. Abdul, they're NFL talents. And every time a kill was able to line up and hit them, he got quality games. So I, you know, look, I think we can both admit AM, they're not gonna win the SWAC. I think at this point of this season, you just want to finish strong and establish a role for to lead in the next season. Uh, and then what should be the goal and the mindset moving forward to finish out this 2021 season? Um, you got to make a kill look good because what you want to you want to get a kill drafted. That that is a that should be a highlight of Connell Manners. I know that sounds bad because he has a whole team aspect, but you want you want a kill to either go undrafted and picked up or drafted. You want him to get to the NFL because. Six four, six five, can make all the throws, stands in the pocket tall. Um, you just want that look because when you go out and recruit other quarterbacks, you could you have that on your resume. Hey, doesn't matter that you're in the swag. I I can put you in the league. And that's something I think that Kyle Manor needs to have. Um, finishing strong, I definitely agree. But listen, they need to go. I, I'm not a big I'm not a big component on finding dogs. That's you know, that's Dion's thing, but you need to go find some players. 
on that on them trenches. I don't care if they came from alternative schools, if they got three strikes on them. I don't care what you need. To, you better go find some people. Just just go to the juvenile detention center and just get the biggest guys you can find and just be like, hey, I'll give you a scholarship. Like, for real, because you just need some thugs on the line that want to bully somebody and because they got bullied. They got bullied bad. They sure did. And we're going to go to the team that bullied them, Jackson State. Uh, everything was going well for them. But let's focus on the offensive side before we piggyback on the defensive side. T.C. Taylor, who's his first time being offensive coordinator. Well, not first time being offensive coordinator, but he was a new offensive coordinator for Jackson State. He was the OC at NC Central. And first thing that pops off, they're a balance. 247 yards rushing, 249 yards passing, 21 first downs, almost 500 yards of total offense. But the most important thing in football is being able to convert on third downs. They were 8 of 10. How important was it for JSU to get an offensive coordinator was going to be able to maximize the talent on the field and make moving the ball not look such not look so much like an arduous chore, but effortless against a defense like Alabama, which coming in, we all knew wasn't a very defensive team. Good defensive team, I might add. Well, th this was a perfect game to do it. Um, the perfect game to make the change is a perfect game to make the wrinkles. Now, how that goes forward, we, we still see. But what I would tell you is if they didn't give T.C. Taylor the game ball after this, they he needs somebody to be fired. He should have got the game ball point blank period because the thing about Jackson State, what they were doing before and what they're going with now is they always felt they could just line up and beat you. That's not listen. Jackson State is not that team. They're not a lineup. We're going to do what we do and win. No, but you have enough athletes to make people worried. So what T.C. Taylor does is with the motions, the jet sweep. And I said this on my channel when um, T.C. Taylor, the interview, uh, the breaking news happened. I talked about it. I showed a formation that he was going to. He, he's just super creative with jet sweeps, motions. What you do is you get the defense eyes moving and making them think now they can't just come downhill. Now they can't just play fast. And th that's what makes gaps and openings that Shador can take advantage of, that the running backs can take advantage of, and that the offensive line looks like a lot better because now they don't have to worry about people just coming downhill. Now they have to worry about people thinking and moving. So if somebody goes to the right, you go to the left, I'm there. So just little things like that that I think T.C. Taylor did. And and as this offense gets more and more um, impl implemented throughout the season, it's just going to get better and better and better. Yeah, I agree with that sentiment as well. I think the biggest thing for them was just being able to establish a running game is important as you get deeper into November and December, pursuing what they're trying to pursue because – Look, Shador Sanders, he's a, lot, a little bit better than what I thought he'd be at the collegiate level, but I do feel like at best what he probably will translate to being, if he goes to the league, he's a poor man's Mac Jones. And so with that being your quarterback under center, you need to utilize the weapons around him to kind of elevate that offense because, yes, he's elusive in the pocket. He can make guys miss, but doesn't have the biggest arm. He's accurate. So, And he knows the offense to a T because it's basically a transplant of what he was playing under at Trinity. In Trinity High. So utilizing Warren Newman better, utilizing Shane Hooks, those receivers out wide, and then establishing a rapport with the running game. I know Peyton Pickett was your guy. He didn't play, so now you get a little bit more speed with Santee Marshall and with J.D. Martin, and it worked out for him extremely. So now that they've got this momentum going for them, you're playing Alabama State, another team that they lost to in the spring that's a lot better defensively. What do they need to continue to keep that momentum going strong? Uh, they have to run the ball. Listen, I, I'm a, I'm not the biggest Shador fan because of the fact of, and once again, I've given Shador Mack props for his poise, his pocket presence, his pocket presence is elite. Okay. 
But what what I what I want to know in my quarterback is if 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 my defense doesn't have it that day, can you go out and win me a game? And you're probably not going to ever see that from Shadur because of the fact of how the team is built and where they're playing at. So I can't give him all the credit I would like to give him of being a great quarterback. But he he has to like the run game has to come up because them constantly throwing and throwing and throwing is you're going to get you're going to get got no different than AM. You're going to get got. So they have to stay balanced. They have to stay in that, keep that approach. And you have to listen, Warren Newman should be the engine that makes this thing roll. He is such, I mean, he is such a dynamic asset for punt return. I mean, in the put him at the, I'll put him at the running back. I'll put him at slot receiver, wherever I can to get him to touch the ball needs to happen because of his versatility and his speed. I agree. Newman should be kind of what Waddle was at Bama. Like, he needs to touch the ball in a multitude of ways. Now, granted, Newman's issue, he's not the greatest catcher of the football, and I think that hurts him at times. That prohibits his role getting expanded even more within the offense. But you're right. He needs to be the engine that goes because once he gets established, it opens everything up for the wideouts out wide. Exactly. Now, Shador, 17-24, 249, four touchdowns, a rushing score, newcomer, SWAT newcomer of the year. Um, he's putting up statistically a pretty solid campaign. At this point, as we go deeper into the season, what can Shordor do that will make him be much more of that threat you're looking for him to be in terms of being a guy that can carry the team when everything's not clicking? He, he ne- he ne- he's never going to get put in that spot. That's because one thing that travels is defense. Defense and a run game are always two things that travel with a football team. If you can run the ball, you can run the ball. If you can stop somebody, you can stop somebody. And with those bad boys on the front, it's not even the DBs. The DBs, other than Deja, anybody other than a nugget is is suspect. Uh, and we saw that against Alabama and everybody got the business. But my thing is this, that front seven is too dominant. It is, I mean, it's a problem. Houston, Owens, listen, off that Alabama and them after 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 the Alabama AM film, they all got draft grades. They I mean, like, let's be real. Houston going third. Now it's Gaddy going seventh. Evans going sixth. They all getting drafted because you just saw how dominant they were on all facets. So as long as he has that, he never has to be great. My thing with a great quarterback is if I took Shador and put him on Alabama AM, how many points do they get? If I put him on Texas Southern, do they beat? If I do, they beat Southern like that's the that's the moments I want to see Shador in to know if he's the guy. You know what I'm saying? He can be a piece, but is he the guy? And that's what you see with Alabama A&M quarterbacks is that you don't know how good they are because they're around so many guys and dogs that you can't expose them. But then when they get in the league and they don't they don't match up, you're like, well, because they don't have all those dogs around them anymore. And everybody everything's all the talent is even. So that's my thing. I, I don't know, man. Listen, Shador for me is never, he, he's never going to be in the Akil. He's never going to be in the Felix Harper. Like he's not going to be in those levels because you, you don't have to do what they have to do every day. Every night when they go out and win, a, they got to go out and win a game. They can't just, they can't just sit back and dink and dunk their life away. Nah. I agree with that sentiment. I think the only thing we'll be able to realize about Shador is as he, if he stays, because you know, I'm at the point now where Jackson State's kind of doing what I think we all deep down expected them to do. You recruit That's an influx of talent in an FCS type subdivision. We expect you to dominate your conference, and they are. If he stays with Jackson State, will they be able to expand on that playbook that he's basically utilized from high school? If they do, then maybe we'll get to see how he is in a more open offensive system 
where you're going against zone coverage, you got to be able to throw it to a spot or people may fake a coverage. You got to be able to read that at the line and go to your next read. So maybe we'll be able to see that in its totality. Um, I, I, uh, real quick before I let you go, I'm sorry. Uh, my thing is, is play up in competition. Play up in competition. That's the only way you're truly going to, that's the only way I'm truly going when your defense meets a defense and when your offense meets an offense that can compete when ULM came in, you went to go see ULM and they got the same dogs on the front line. They got the same guys in the linebacker situation. You ain't look too good. You know what I'm saying? So and since if his dad does not want to play up, I'm ne you're never going to see what, what Shadur can really, really do. You know what I'm saying? And that's my issue. Go play a top-level FCS team. Go, go play a low-level FBS team. Let's, let's see what Shadur can do then because that lets me know, okay, he, he's that guy. Like, he's that dog. He, he's going he's gonna to drag his team to a victory. And even if they lose, just by how hard he plays or how hard the game is or how competitive the game is, you can be like, I can, I can ride with that kid. But until that happens, he, he's not going to be one of my top quarterbacks that I'll pick. I agree. I think that's what it's going to be next year for sure. I think they're going to dominate this year, possibly win the swag. Although I feel like there will be a little bumps in a row that people aren't considering. I think they will have some comp in the swag later in the year, but not enough, I think, to kind of put them on their back. I think next year, the way dion has been talking about, he wants recognition on the legit ESPNs, the ESPN, ESPN twos. You got to be able to play higher level FCS competition. And we saw what the FCS in its totality has done this year. South Dakota going, I think, in the Colorado State beating them. We know where North Dakota State represents and uh, Montana. So, these are guys that high-level FCS teams, they're going to FBS programs, own institutions, and beating them. So now it's time to play those guys after you've dominated what's happening in the SWAC. Let's move on to their defense. Uh, they had 10 sacks, like I stated before. Niles Gaddy had two. Um, but Antoine, Antoine Owens and James Houston have kind of been their dominant forces on the D-line all year. Houston, it looks like he's going to lead the FCS in sacks. And like you stated before, I think he's actually, out of everybody on the team, He's going to get drafted for sure. Um, Dejon Warren possibly can as well, but you know the cornerback situation. You don't get thrown a lot, and you're playing in a lower division. Cats kind of look at you like, are you really that guy? So he is, he's in a rock and a hard place there. But what has James Houston brought to this defense that they were missing in the spring? Energy. Uh, he is a – listen, he's a see-ball, go-get-ball guy. And as a scout – once again, I'm not no NFL scout, but if I was a scout – it's two things I would ask myself about Houston. Is he a linebacker at the next level? Because he's a tweener now. He's kind of like a Von Miller slash, you know, uh, Trayvon Emmons kind of body frame. Um, is, he a, is he a tweener? And can he drop in coverage? I know what he can do to go get the ball. But you have never seen him drop in coverage. You have never seen him run with anybody. But what I will say is, if you go back and watch the film against this game, he did go out and line up on a tight end when they put him out wide in Alabama and them. I know probably a lot of people didn't see that, but it definitely happened. So they they trust him to go do that. Houston is just a man with he just runs with hair on fire, man. It's just the energy he brings. You know you gotta block him, you still can't block him. And then I just think he knows how good he is. You know what I'm saying? It just and once you see success. It's just like, oh, man, this is easy. I can do this all day long. And then when you got the – then you can't get doubled because everybody else is good on your front line. Except now it's got to be. You know what I'm saying? Everybody else is good. And then, you know, you got the linebackers coming downhill. You got the blitzes coming. It's just – it's just too much. It's too much. It, the scheme is perfect for him, man. If you got – and if all he has to do is worry about beating one guy, it's a problem. 
Yeah, I think the first thing that jumps off the screen with Houston is relentless motor. I think that's – and that's what you need to be a pass rushing linebacker at any level, let alone college and then the pros. So you can never get enough pass rushers in the NFL. If there's things that matter defensively, it's guys that can go get the quarterback and secondary players that can intercept or press backup receivers from completions to from their mm-hmm. quarterback. So he's going to always be able to have that going for him. Um, Anton Owens, his ability to just dominate with pure strength. He's quick, agility, whatnot, being able to flow sideline to sideline and make tackles. We saw that week one against FAMU, and that's something that hasn't really left him. So he's been able to do that as well. So they're a dominant force in particular, and now that kind of leads me to JSU against the rest of the swag. Um, they got Alabama State coming up next on homecoming. So that's kind of, in my opinion, a little bit of a trap game because you're coming off a super high against AM. Now you're playing a better defense at Alabama State. Alabama State maybe has possibly figured out the quarterback situation. Ryan Nettles hasn't been the greatest this season. So they started a freshman against um, Pine Bluff, and he played pretty well. Um, we put up his stats in particular. Miles Crawley threw four touchdowns, almost 300 yards, 28-28 passing. Got to worry about Ezra Gray, his speed and ability to run between the tackles. Um, Alabama State, I know you were high on them in the spring, not so high on them in the fall. We both know what they bring defensively. Is it just honestly going to come down to what their offense can provide from a consistency standpoint? Oh, absolutely. I mean, listen, you're dealing with that Jackson State front seven because, one, you don't have any receivers that are going to scare them. So they're, they're not going to be – I mean, you don't have anything close to Alabama and um, you, You're starting a freshman quarterback. So, I mean, this is like walking into the Lions then. At, at, at the vet, on their homecoming, listen, if you don't run the ball at least 20 to 30 times – Somebody about to die. So you're going to get that quarterback kill, like, for real. Somebody going to die today. So it's Ja'Cory Merritt and Ezra Gray. It's their game. They got to win. The front, the front, uh, I know they, they they were all freshmen in the spring, so they're all coming back. Um, they're pretty legit at, as an offensive line. So hopefully they can get some type of scoring or drives going because Alabama State's defense, they know that they can be great. With Jaquez Payton, Natron Culpepper, Rashad Davis, uh, I think Bubba. I don't know if he's coming back this game or the next game. And then you got that big boy, Christian Clark, in the middle. They have the pieces to disrupt what they like to do because they have the corners that can man up and they got the safeties that will go get it. So I don't think they're going to be scared of Jackson State by any means. But what the defense is looking for for the offense is like, please just give us something like 10 points. Give us 14 points and we can make this a game. Um, I don't see the game being over. I don't see Jackson State scoring over 30. I think it might be like a 28-10, 28-7 Jackson State, but it, it's only like that because Alabama State probably can't – they probably can't get in the end zone. Yeah, I agree. Uh, honestly, the biggest thing with Jackson State defensively as an offense coming in playing against them, you got to have, in my opinion, a quarterback that can move. Um, Crawley was pretty good in the pocket against Pine Bluff, saw some film of him a little bit. He was efficient, but it's Pine Bluff, and it's the same team that led – Alcorn State, which is a good program, come back Ooh. when they jumped ahead early in the game. So going against a different breeze defensively, I agree. Running the football with Merritt and Gray is huge. Ball control is important as well because your defense mm-hmm. is good, but you never want to continue to put your defense on the field again and again because they're prone to have nicks and, bru- nicks and bruises and bumps in a row. Just, um, just attrition, basically, being on there all the time. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a potential track game for JSU. I think they'll be fine, but – now Alabama State, like we both talked about, they have a defense. They have a quarterback that I think is a better passer than Nettles. So I don't think they can just get away with sitting everybody. And I feel like their offensive line is 
going to be a little bit better than AM's was, which that means now your quarterback has time to get rid of the football because if you have time and are an accurate passer of the football, you can get the JSU secondary. It's not as much of a, a legion of boom type secondary as everybody wants it to be exactly. like in the swag. It's not that, not that dynamic. Um, focusing on the other teams in the swag as well, I personally, in my opinion, feel like there are teams that could challenge JSU somewhat this season, maybe catch them slipping. Um, FAMU, I think, in my opinion, has the second best defense in the swag, but they've already played. So at this point, and they're in the same division, the only way FAMU could come out and represent the swag in the swag championship, the East, that is, is JSU would have to slip up. Alcorn and Dark Horse Southern. Let's talk about Southern. You've always talked about their OC being, in your opinion, the best in the swag. He's a creative play caller. They finally found something, making the quarterback change, going with the more pure passer. But they had a shocking loss to Texas Southern where offensively they didn't have a problem running the football or throwing the football, but they let TSU drop 35 on them in the first annual classic that was in Texas. With them, with Southern moving forward, they got a powerful offensive line, so they're going to be able to run the ball. They're going to be able to protect their quarterback. What is it going to take for them to have a chance to play against Jackson State? Or I don't know if they play against each other in the regular season, but do you feel like they're a legit comp for JSU if everything breaks right? Um, they they do play Jackson State. Uh, Alcorn and Southern both play Jackson State. They're, they're, that's their last two games. Um, Southern, they always have a chance with me because they can run the ball and they they love doing that. And as long as, as long if you can move that all if you can move that D line, you have a, if you saw what Delta State did. If you can move that line, you can get big chunk yards in, in running the ball. My issue with Southern is the receiving core. I can't trust it. I don't know what I'm getting from them on a daily basis. And the D, the front seven, the fronts, the whole defense, honestly, is kind of iffy to me because I've never been a big fan of Jordan Lewis. I think he's a, I think he'd be a great linebacker at the, at the next level, but definitely not a DN. He's, he's not a, he's not a, he can't really get off the block very well. But if you let him come clean, oh yeah, he gonna, he gonna ring your bell. Um, Southern is just a little too iffy right now. They're having a lot of coaching issues, you know, with the scheme, with the defensive scheme that they have. I love Zach. Like I said, I love Zach Rossi. His offensive play calling is A1. And Bubba McDaniels is his first year being a full-time starter and it being his team. He's going to have some rough, rough patches as well. Um, my real dark horse is actually PV. Uh, I, I really, I really like PV. Jawan Pass, and I've said this from day one, he probably throws the best deep ball in the swag. It's that his, his intermediate game is eh, but his deep passing is A1. He will he will carve you up. And their defense is legit as well. Um, the corners are a little suspect every now and again, but their front seven is pretty good. So that's definitely my dark horse in all corn. You just can't. I can't bet against a McNair-led team. I think there's just something about him and the way they believe in him and what they do as a coach that sometimes even when the game doesn't look like they should win, they still win. And I'm like, what the heck? You know, so I think if I had to rank them, I would probably go PV, Southern, and then Alcorn. That would be my my three dark horses coming out the West. Those are all filler assessments. I forgot to incorporate PV. Right now, they're undefeated in the swag, 4-1 and one as well. Juwan Pass has looked, He's looked solid. Now, the reason why he transferred from Louisville is his inconsistency as a passer was prominent in the FBS. It's gotten a little bit better for PVU. Um, his D-balls look nice. He's a mobile guy. He can move. And he's another incorporation of a running game that they utilize, and which helps to be very balanced on the offensive end. Southern, yes, offensively, they got a quarterback now in McDaniels that's, I think, a much purer passer. Now they can kind of pivot away from the skeleton uh, triple option and now open up their offense even more. And I think that's going to help a lot against defenses that 
are really strong in the front seven. Now you can spread those guys out a little bit. Um, all corner, in my opinion, and I said this for the last time we had a segment, Prime is going to be judged by if he beats all corn and Southern, because those are JSU's biggest rivals. And in my yeah. opinion, that's going to be probably JSU's two toughest swag games of the year. All corn is always going to be who they are because that did blip in a roll against NC Central. But outside of that, they lost by they lost to South Alabama by seven, who is in the same conference as ULM, who JSU lost two by four. They're much better than ULM, and they play them very well. It's Felix Harper, man. He's he's a magician. He's mobile. Yes. Um, pressure doesn't phase him. He's able to make all the throws. He always gives this team a best the best chance to win. And then defensively, they're more so a bend on break type. They're going to always give you the yards, but when it's time to make a crucial stop, they'll be able to make that. So I think Alcorn is going to always have a chance to win. And when everything shakes up how it is, those two teams will meet each other, not just on rivalry day, but they'll also be in the SWAC championship. So if Prime's not able to beat them, then it's going to be here we go again, because I'm a JSU alumni. When I went there for four years, we beat Alcorn once. So if it's the same old, same old, he's not able to beat that team, it's going to be a problem. But like you stated before, you need a mobile quarterback to have a chance to get JSU, but he's got to be mobile and make all the throws. Felix can do that, which I think separates, in my opinion, all corn from everybody else. Also, he's a senior. He knows the offense. He's not afraid of the big moment. This is what he does. And he was behind the decorated Noah Johnson, so he learned from somebody that was just as good as him coming up in the ranks. So I give them a very good shot. I like I- – I'm a big fan of Felix trigger man is, and he really made me a fan against the UAPB game. But I, what I saw with the work and how he just, I'm just like, wow, he's, he's really, he's really fun to watch. Um, I, you're absolutely right. The mobility of a quarterback that can make the throws. If you, if, if Skelton was the 90% of what Felix Harper was, I'm telling you it would be Southern would be unstoppable because of the run game. It just, it just wouldn't make sense because you wouldn't know what to stop but he just can't make the throws. Um, but Felix can, and I would just love to see him against this type of defense. Their O-line is not that good. Arcorn's O-line is definitely not that good, so he's definitely going to be running for his life, but I just would like to see how he, how he manages that. Um, and last but not least, I, I don't know if PB, I don't know if PV plays Southern. I mean, it plays Alcorn, but if they do it, that's the game I, I just couldn't miss. I think that's going to be a, a, a huge matchup in the West to see who goes to the SWAC championship. Now, before we divert to talking about your Cowboys, who's been on a hot streak in the NFL, oh. three other teams in the SWAC before we wrap up the SWAC section, Grambling, Valley, and Texas Southern. Now, Texas Southern, historically, and Valley, when it's football season in the SWAC, they're not that good. But this year, they've been making waves in terms of evolving as a program. Let's focus with Texas Southern. They're upset against Southern, which was shocking. I mean, the week before, they played American University, destroyed them. But I kind of opened my eyes to them destroying American because in the past they lose to win American. They're not a good football program. They're better mm-hmm. in basketball than football in the SWAC. Then you go in the Southern and win that by four. And Andrew Body, 338 in the air, 96 on the ground. When you have a quarterback that can do it all with his legs and with his arm, gives you the best chance to win. How amazed are you about the growth? In evolution, this TSU program, and what can they provide down the line as being maybe a potential spoiler, spoiler for some Lesson. programs in the SWAT? Listen, I'm you, you, I'm gonna say it on your drink first because I was gonna put it on my channel. Best freshman quarterback in the SWAC, hands down, Andrew Body, hands hands down, Andrew Body because, and it's not even I'm, I'm not even going to the American National game. Let's take it back to Rice. 
And I don't care. And a lot of people say rice is bad. Texas Southern gets molly whopped without body being in that game. I mean, they probably don't even score. So you got to take, you got to start it from there and work it forward. And you see the progression of how he's just getting more and more confidence and going into that Southern game. He was on a high. His team was on a high. They believe in him because all you listen, the worst thing you can give a team uh, is hope. If you give a team hope that they can come in here and if you keep the game close, if you, that's all the team needs. Hey, it's just one play. We just that's football is a funny sport like that. It only takes one play, one bounce of the ball. Andrew Bo, Andrew Body is the best freshman quarterback in the SWAC. Period. And, I'm, and the reason I'm gonna say that is is because all of what he has to do to make three hundred in the air, a hundred on the ground, he's playing running back and quarterback. Like, come on, let's be real. When you see mobile mobile quarterbacks like that, it's usually like a two hundred. 100 type of game, maybe a 150, 150 type of game. 300 in the air with 100 rushing? Listen, Texas Southern is that team. They're going to be scary. I can't wait to see them play against Jackson State because they play Jackson State. And Valley, listen, a coach, Dancy coach team never quits. That's one. And two, Kitten Evans as the offensive coordinator is making a difference for that team. Jelani Eason, as much as I've clowned him in the past, he's doing pretty darn well as a quarterback. And I'm telling you that number three, Caleb Johnson, the running back, is the truth. He's probably one of the best running backs in the SWAC. And if he was on any other team, he would get his, he would get a lot more publicity. If he was on Jackson State, they would think he was the next Walter Payton or something like that. I'm telling you that right now. So Caleb Johnson is real. Uh, uh, the, the offense that uh, Kit Nevis is bringing is good. The defense, you already know Valley's going to bring the defense. And with Texas Southern... Andrew Body is the pro. He is a problem child. I would nickname him the problem because seriously, you got to solve it for them. To, for you to be in this game, you got to solve him. Yeah, because Texas Southern historically, like I stated before, not a great football team. So when I think of a football team that's bad, the only thing that can keep a bad football team from bad to at least competitive average is quarterback play. And we we've, we've seen it before. Like when your quarterback's able to come in and be efficient put up high top high tier numbers and put his team in possession to win the game. It opens up everything for everybody. Uh, Valley, the swag needs Valley to be good again. I mean, because we all know what Valley represents because of Jerry Rice, what he was doing back in the late eighties. And so for them to be competitive, you've been high on dance. He has a coach since really the spring and I saw them play against Murray state. Yeah. They got blown out, but the field was just different. Yes. Like they were competitive. They were yes. playing hard. They were making Murray State earn everything that they got. And that kind of highlighted to me, this is going to be a different year for them. Grambling State, you know, I, I'm intrigued because when Fobbs came initially to Grambling State, because I'm from the Louisiana, from Louisiana. So when he came to Grambling State first and basically changed the culture from what it was prior, because it was in the mud, picked it back up, made them competitive again. There were annual SWAG championship contenders and participators. It's cool to see what he was and basically bringing that program back to relevance again. But now the high has started to dwindle down to a very unfortunate low. And the biggest thing you got to figure out is quarterback. Noah Biden against AM was offensive player of the week. Next week, he kind of got benched. So I, they got to figure out that really dynamic at the signal caller position. But they have, in my opinion, the top five defense in the conference. So that defense is always going to put them in position to win. Grambling State, uh, I keep hearing Fobbs' job maybe on the line. What do they have to figure out this season to kind of bring some positivity in the next in the next year campaign? 
listen, you got to let Noah take his bumps and bruises, man. Like it, it can't, it only helps you program because if the more meaningful games he gets to experience swag play, now granted your offensive line is not that good. It didn't get exposed against Alabama and them because they're not that good. All right. But you got to let Noah take the bumps and the bruises as learning this quarterback position uh, because of the simple fact of if he's the guy of the future, he has to be able to lead. He has to be able to look his boys in the eyes and say, Hey, I got this. You know what I'm saying? Like we going, we're going to get this done and we're going to get, if you keep, benching and starting and benching and starting there's no continuity there and consistency there and it just tells me you're just fighting for your job you're just trying to get wins for your job and not trying to build the program um if if you gotta go you gotta go but don't don't make don't make the decisions based off your job make the decisions based off the team because he is a grambling man so it should be i want to leave the program in better place than when i got it and you are the only Swat coach to win a celebration bowl in the last what four or five years. So you have you have that kind of that that name on you got that you got the relevancy on your name. So it's not like you can't get another job. It's not like nobody's not gonna hire you. Just for me, it's one of two things. You know your defense is gonna keep you in the game. That's cool. Let Noah have his bumps and bruises because last week he was oh Noah Bowden this and Noah Bowden that. And I'm looking at it, I'm like. He, he made a few throws, but the throws he missed, that was the bigger issue. He missed a lot of big-time throws that would have blew that game wide open. So, to me, he just has to learn as it comes, and you got to keep putting him in situations to, uh, to make him learn, to get him to learn, if that's, your, if that's the guy of the future. Because Elijah Walker ain't it. He ain't it. Yeah, man, you, you brought in Noah as a highly touted four-star recruit from New York because you wanted him to kind of – elevate your level of talent especially when Dion comes in and brings his recruiting class so exactly. you kind of neutralize that by saying we got our quarterback boy wondering here we're going to change the game so you got to let him like you stated go through those bumps and bruises he's got talent but he's inaccurate at times I mean that's, that's a lot of young quarterbacks in a nutshell especially those guys that have the humongous arm they'll make a couple of wild throws and then three plays later in a row they'll miss 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 the easy one so you got to let it go through right yeah you got to let him go through the bumps and bruises. Their O-line is not that good. And he has to accept, especially being a Grambling alum, that all right, maybe if they get rid of me, the goal is, like you stated, to leave the program where it once was when I got here and reestablish it into prominence. You're not beating – you could probably beat Southern. They've been held to Skelter all year. But you're not winning your division to represent the SWAC in the conference yeah. championship game. Not going to be in the celebration bowl. This needs to be building blocks for the future. The defense is here. Now you need to establish continuity and relatability with your quarterback because you don't want it to be a carousel at that position because now Noah leaves and now you're really back at square one trying to figure Thank out that situation. Thank you. Exactly. Because what, what happens, okay, even if the if you bring in and what you don't want to happen, which might happen, but with you know, with HBCU alumni, it's funny. You bring in a new coach, and the alumni could probably tell them, Hey, we want Noah, right? He might not want Noah. Noah is not his guy. You know what I'm saying? And you and and he and Noah not having enough film to prove to the quarterback, the proof to that new coach that hey, this guy is real or this guy's legit. Now you're dealing with that. You know what I'm saying? So it's just little things like that. Yeah, completely understandable. There, uh, you don't want to. I know how alumni can be the fan base. You don't want in a grandma situation that you get rid of fobs. And you bring a new guy in, and now it's like, what are we doing? You're kind of seeing that a little bit with Southern. Odoms is going to bring in a new coaching staff, and they have a high here and a low there. So it'll be interesting to see how they figure that situation out. 
Now up next, we're going to talk about the Dallas Cowboys. They've been red hot through five games, four and one. Coming into the season, I thought for sure they're going to win the NFC East. Thought they should have won it last year. They struggled and whatnot, but they're rolling right now. And I want to kind of highlight some guys before we dive into it. You know, their rise to win four straight has been humongous. You know, lost to Tampa, should have won that game there. But win four straight against the Chargers, beat your divisional rivals in Philly and the Giants, really exposed the Panthers into being kind of the frauds I thought they were when they went 3-0, knocked them off their square. And the biggest thing that's resonated is the balance that they have with Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard running the football, not allowing Dak to throw 30, 35 times, because I honestly thought that's why he got hurt, because he had to literally drop back 40 times to have that offense reach his height. So how important is it for Dak to have that balance attack behind him? And how much does it raise the offensive ceiling for the Cowboys in its totality? Let me just say, man, I, I really appreciate how you just eloquently put all that. I mean, we just it just it just sounded so lovely. Ah, man. Now, back to your question. The balance is the key. If you keep it. Listen, I think here's a stat for you. I think if the Cowboys, uh, the Cowboys are 27 and 0 when they have ran more times than they have thrown the ball. <laughs> 27 and 0. That's the standard right there, baby. We ain't got to do nothing else. You know what I'm saying? Just run that thing. And the balance, like you said, with, with Zeke and Tony, I love Tony. I love his explosiveness. I, I love, his, love his explosiveness. I love his vision. He's a great, great, great balance to what, uh, what Zeke is doing. But Dak and how efficient he's been. See, that 26 or 25 that he's throwing, he might go 18, 19, or 25. It's the efficiency and it's the pinpoint accuracy that that Dak is showing on these plays and the command of the offenses. It's just, man, it's a it's really as a fan, and I've been a fan since I was a little boy. It is great to see because I always knew Dak wasn't turnover prone. And that was the issue with Tony Romo. He could give you 10 amazing plays, but you just like, when, when is this interception coming? I know it's coming. God, dog, I know it's coming. But with Dak, when it happens, you're like, damn, I didn't, I didn't expect that to happen. You know what I'm saying? So the, the balance that Dak is showing and, and the efficiency of what the offense is ad, asking him to do is perfect. 25, 26 times, 19, 20, 26, stuff like that. We live in there, run the ball 30, 35 times. We're good. And the, and the Cowboys, are, you're seeing it, what the Cowboys are doing right now. You are seeing it. And Tony Pollard, I think, is the best thing to happen for Zeke Elliott because week two happened against the Chargers. Pollard was getting more run. And I was hearing it because I listen to fantasy football podcasts because I play fantasy. And a lot of guys were like, man, they need to play Tony more. That burst is just there. And you can see it. He's hitting the hole. He's exploding. And that's opening up everything offensively. That woke Zeke up to where Monday night against Philly, he ran it down Philly's throat. It was just the passion, ferocity that we saw from Zeke the first exactly. two games of the season. And now they both have 80-plus rushing grades, according to PFF, and they're playing well. With Dak, efficiency is important. You, he's not throwing it 30, 40 times, but those 28 times he is throwing the football, they're impactful. And they usually come on – third downs where it's like all right we got a third and manageable deck you ran it two times it kind of put the defense on his heels get this third and five to zeke get this third and six to amari to lamb and he's executing it to perfection only three interceptions in five games i think i know he's a shoe in for comeback player of the year but mvp talks i think it's something that needs to happen for him because he's a part of that offense that's really been moving at such a high high clip and defensively, I, I got to talk about this guy because I'm shocked at how he's playing. Trayvon Diggs. Trayvon Diggs. <laughs> Trayvon Diggs. Last year, he sucked. I'm going to just be right. He was whoa, not good last whoa, season. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Last, last, uh, nah. last season, he wasn't good to me. 
he wasn't good to okay. me. Now, I, now, I, now, I felt like uh, he talked about it to reporters as the season's going on. He didn't have training camp. He was getting adjusted to the season. It was a pandemic year. It affected everybody. So yeah, when they really had him on an island with the best receivers in the game out the gate, and it's a learning to for cornerbacks. Not everybody's blessed like a Marshawn Lattimore that could come in year one and hold his own. But I didn't think he played very well. So in year two, I was skeptical. But the one thing that we all knew he had because he was trying to be a receiver at Bama that's translating is the ball skills. The ball skills are phenomenal. He has six picks and he's playing particularly well. But now I'm starting to hear, hear it all the time on social media. A lot of people don't like the Cowboys. You know, I get it. You know, America's team, they be hating. But they starting to hate on Trevon. And I'm like, yo, like, I know it kind of like well, he's got six picks, but he's not the best cornerback in the league because he's giving up these amount of yards, yada, yada, yada. So I work for PFF. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to look at the stats. I'm going to look at the stats for myself because I'm hearing all of this. He, he allows a 38.9 passer rating. That's one of the lowest in the league. He hasn't given up any touchdown passes. He's been targeted 39 times. He's allowed 19 catches. He has six picks, but he has four PBUs. Cowboys have a lockdown corner. I haven't remembered since they had a lockdown corner since really, honestly, Dion. And they have that on their defense. How much of a strength does that provide for that Cowboys unit? Because now you got a guy back deep that can lock it down on his side. It opens up everything, which you can bring from a look perspective with the front seven. Well, let me let's 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 uh, start from the front, because I think the front helps the back. And we all understand that because we've seen Jackson State. The defense that Dan Quinn has brought in and what I love about what Dan Quinn is doing is he's doing a scheme off the players. I want to say that again, because a lot of coaches come in and bring a scheme and they just say, hey, run my scheme. But you don't have the players capable of doing it. He came in with his scheme. He saw the players that he has. He's like, hey. I'm not going to run cover three here. I have man corners, Jordan Lewis, man corner, Anthony Brown, trash, but man corner, uh, Trevon Diggs, man corner, uh, you know, yeah, Keanu Neal, you know, those boys he brought from uh, Atlanta. So, and then the front, the front four, man, has been relentless. Randy Gregory, uh, I think his name is Oma Gumake. Uh, who else is on the front? Uh, we, we lost to Marcus, but we have these. Uh, Basher, Michael Parsons. Basher, yeah. Michael Parsons. I mean, it's just getting crazy out here. And they're generating so much pressure that Trevon is able to, in a man look, like, I need people to understand this. In a man look, you don't clue. And if, if people don't know what looking clue is, is you don't look at the, you don't look at the uh, quarterback in a man look. It's a man look for a reason. You're supposed to be on the uh, on the receiver. He looks at the corner, the quarterback to watch the steps. That's how he knows when to break. And that's just less that lets you know how confident he is in his skills because his recovery speed is amazing. I saw that his rookie year, even when he was getting burnt by Terry McCollum. I, I remember I'm a, I'm a Cowboys fan. I've seen all the games. Terry McCollum was cooking him, but it's because he was such a gambler. You know what I'm saying? And when you gamble and you don't have the front front four to get to the quarterback, you're you're in trouble. You know what I'm saying? So when you when you add that front four, getting pressure and getting the pressure that they've been generating on quarterbacks, plus now Trevon able to look and clue and gamble like he's been able to. That's how he got the pick against the Panthers. It's things like that. And then, like you said, trusting his skills, trusting his speed, his boss. You throw a jump ball with. Trevon, listen, you don't know who's going to come down with it because nine times out of ten, it's probably going to be Trevon because he's that guy. And if we, if anybody doesn't know out there, Stefan Diggs is his older brother who is a receiver at Buffalo Bills. Yeah, that is his brother. And you can see 
the hands don't fall from the family tree. He's making plays nine times out of ten. Now it's got to the point where he's getting interceptions with such regularity. Every time he throw in his area, I'm like, yo, is he going to do something spectacular <laughs> again? Like, I, 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 you're thinking that. His best games, in my opinion, Philly and Carolina. Philly, he read Devontae Smith like a book. You could oh, say, yo, yeah, read him like a book. You could say, yo, they both went to the same program. Of course, he knows Devontae Smith. He knows Jalen Hurts' tendencies. They all from the Alabama fraternity, but it was still impressive nonetheless because Devonta Smith is probably, in my opinion, the best receiver in his class. He's a great route runner with sure hands. So he's a guy that can sell a route like, yo, I'm going to run this in, but then I'm going to break out. Or I'm going to run this out, break back in. I'm going to hit you with a double move, the post like, And so Diggs was just on him, harassing him perfectly and then against Carolina DJ Moore is a talented guy and he was reading and cluing perfectly the first pick yeah bad throw by Sam Darnold what's new with Sam Darnold but the second one he he just read the route by DJ Moore this guy's hands and that's something that you want all the elite corners to do well which is why I feel like his run this year is different like it's it's top five-esque and I know a lot of people are going to say well Xavier Howard had 11 picks last year and JC Jackson had nine yeah, but I know what Xavier Howard and J.C. Jackson represent. They play more of a zone look in their zone defensive tendencies. Like we're both talking about Diggs is a man corner. The knock on Diggs coming out of college was he's a man corner, but he's not that fast. He runs a 4-5. So a man guy running a 4-5, I don't know. But we all know speed at a combine, speed on a field, two different two fields. Different and you see it in its totality with Dallas. Now, Michael Parsons is intriguing. Um, there's been talks, he's playing well, but there's been talks about, does he know what position he plays? He's saying, I, I play whatever. And then somebody made a slick comment. I don't know who it was. I don't know if it was a Packer or whatever. They're like, it's going to matter what position you play when contract time comes. And it does. Cause I remember when Jimmy Graham, cause I'm a Saints fan, when Jimmy Graham wanted to get paid like a receiver and it seems like you a tight end. That's why he got <laughs> traded. So it, it is going to matter. But I think personally, Parsons is more of an Olden Smith type. He's more of a pass rushing linebacker than a guy in coverage. How do you feel – what do you feel his ideal position is at this level, and what has he brought to the Dallas Cowboys defense that's helped make them so spectacular? I think he has a mindset of, I want to make the play. Uh, I saw it in the Hard Knocks series where he just wants to make the play. He wants to be around the ball. I don't care where you put me, coach. I want to play football. And I think you need guys like that that you just can trust and say, I'm going to do my job and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability to get the job done. And I really feel when he says, I don't need a position. I, I kind of feel like it's with the NBA now. And I hate to jump. Like some players are just positionless. You know, you're like, what does he play? Does he play the four? Does he play the three? Like, man, he just play basketball. You know what I'm saying? So I think Micah Parsons is in that boat where a lot of, NFL teams are going to the tweeners because the field is so spaced out. Everything is so free and flowing and open with the passing game. You just need Bama's who can run. You know what I'm saying? Like, can you run? You run a 4-3? Okay, okay man, come on. You know what I'm saying? So, and with Parsons being as strong as he is, now, do I like him banging against those big left tackles every single game? No, I don't. I think at some point in time, it's going to catch up with him. I think they need to mix it up to where he comes down, plays, he goes out. 
keep him around the line of scrimmage. I will say that. Keep him around the line of scrimmage. That I think that's his best forte, but just keep mixing it up. Have him go against the center. Have him go against the left tackle. Have him blitzing. Have him, you know, stunting and all that type of stuff. I have him line up over top of a running back and blitz off the edge. Like, whatever you can do to get him around the football is in your best bet. But I, I do agree with Mike. I, I wouldn't know really where to label him. Um, I like uh, Van Der Esch. I love Keanu Neal where he's playing. They moved him from safety to linebacker. I think it was the best move for him. Um, and I think that's what gives Michael Parsons the ability to play the freelancing role that he has. It does. It does indeed. I do feel like, like you stated, move him around the line of scrimmage. I don't think operating him in a coverage sense at a linebacker spot is it. I do feel like long-term Dallas needs to figure out what he is, not just from a contractual standpoint, but I think over time playing somebody like him all over the field can be a detriment because eventually, you know, all NFL teams, they watch film, they do this religiously, it's their job. They're going to figure out, all right, they play him this amount of times here, here, here. And I think what they've pinpointed is he sucks in coverage. He's not good. But what he can provide is the versatility, athleticism, fluidity as a pass rusher. I think things that he can add, add some moves, because I feel like at times when he's on the edge, he just tries to speed out by guys or bull rush them. I think the finesse can help a lot, especially for a smaller guy like him. You can't always bull rush a big 320-pound left tackle. You're going to hurt yourself. So, I, you know, utilizing your hands, utilizing your feet, you know, the torque and whatnot goes a long way. If you can, you know, partner up with Von Miller and learn those techniques in the offseason, he should do that. But he provides a sense of impactfulness that they haven't had defensively in Dallas. And so that's resonated the most. And from a division sense, so they're four and one. Philly's two and three. The Giants are one and four. They're not good. Uh, Washington's two and three. They lost to my Saints. They're kind of iffy. We all can agree you're going to win the division. Um, you play New England before the bye week. New England could be a somewhat of a trap game. Uh, they're a pretty sound defensive team. Offensively, they're inclined. They're limited in what they can do. Um, what's the most important thing Dallas needs to accomplish heading into a bye week to kind of put things into focus to pursue their end goal? Uh, win the right way. And I know that might sound weird how you're saying it. What I'm saying when I say win the right way is keep it balanced. Keep because the one thing about Dallas that I never liked, they never played four quarters. That, that used to really bother me. They would either come out to a big lead in the first quarter or they will either have to fight for their lives in the third or fourth quarter. To me, if you're going to be a great team, you play four quarters of good football and you, you just let this you let your play speak for itself. And I think what I noticed about the Giants game was that I loved about my team was the fight back with the turnovers. You turn the ball over. They didn't the Giants didn't have any points off turnovers. That lets me know the defense is locked in to know, OK, this our time to step up. You know, what I'm saying it's our time to do what we have to do. And I think keep winning that way to understand that, hey, the offense is going to do what they do. Defense is going to do what they do and play all four quarters of a football game and you'll be good to go. And you can go into your bye week looking good because that charges win every time you play that charges win gets better and better and better because of what they who they've been beating and the way you you handle that game. So I just think don't as long as Cowboy fans don't get caught up in, you know, beating the division, that's that's a guarantee. We're, we're winning the division. It's playing the. Kansas City's is playing the uh you know those high level teams that we're going to have to play out the division. I think we play the AFC East, so we play the Dolphins, we play 
you know, the Jets and all them beating them like we're supposed to and then beating the teams that we're not supposed to, but also making it competitive. So I think if if Dallas plays four good quarters going into this bye week, we should be good to go and continue on our run. Yeah, four good quarters is important. That's always been my knock on Mike McCarthy. He has a tendency to kind of flip-flop his identity. And historically, when he coached the Packers, they would never be able to finish games, mainly because he's relying on the greatness of Aaron Rodgers. So my biggest thing coming to Dallas, especially after what happened last year, is he going to realize we're a power team? Let's play yeah. like it. I'm not in Green Bay anymore where we don't have a running game because our O-line stays hurt all year. So we got to finesse it and wing it with A-Rod. No, you're a power team. Guys are back. Tyron Smith's back. Connor Williams is back. Everybody's healthy. Is running between the trenches behind Zach Martin. They're doing that consistently. That's important. And now when you have a stretch like they've had, four straight wins, you just don't want the letdown. New yes. England is a potential letdown. You don't want to come in against New England and think, yo, we're playing the Patriots, but Brady ain't here. These dudes almost <laughs> lost to the Texans last week. So we could just show up and do whatever. Win. Right. Yeah. You're in Foxborough. Belichick's going to have those guys prepared. You got to lock in and play. Also want to make a correction. You guys don't play the East. You play the West. So you will have to play Kansas City later. Oh, okay. We'll see we how Kansas City – yeah, we'll see how Kansas City is moving forward. Las Vegas, who just fired John Gruden because he's an idiot. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about – yeah, we'll talk about it later. We'll, we'll, I'll implement it. I just saw it before we got on on the pod, so I'm like, we'll talk about it. But um, so, yeah, I, they're legit, though. And I think now that they're starting to get hype. Dallas always gets hype, even when they're back. <laughs> it don't take much. So, it don't take much. It don't take much. So because of that – now that they're getting hyped because they're actually good and they should actually be hyped now because they're legit. There's guys that's been haters and been able to hate like uh-huh, y'all, y'all not real. Now it's like, uh, it's fake. You know, the Chargers, they wasn't focused. Uh, Giants, they got hurt. Uh, I'm, I'm like, dude, look, man, let's be honest. They should have beat Tampa if Greg Zerline had an accurate leg. Yeah, like, Let's be real. You're Tampa's right. legit. Right. Uh, they beat the Chargers who are 4-1. I knew coming into the season the Chargers were going to be legit. New coaching staff. I like what Herbert was able to establish early on last season. He's keeping it up. Cool. Um, Giants were coming off that Saints win. Still mad about that. We should have never lost to the dudes. But they're coming off that Saints win. Daniel Jones is playing particularly well. Everybody was hyping them like they're going to figure it out. They're one in three, but they're not a one in three team. And Dallas blasted them. Philly was coming off of two tightly contested games where not tightly contested, but they beat Atlanta. They were in a tight little struggle with San Francisco. So a lot of people are like, all right, Philly, they beat them. So they're a legit team. They're up there with Tampa, Arizona. Like they're up there with them. Like they can compete with them. They can actually come out the NFC. Let me, and I don't think. Yeah. Let me say one thing. Um, One thing that I, I love and I, I got to give Mike McCarthy credit for this one. He is being uber aggressive. He has been going for more fourth and ones, and I'm loving it. That to me is let, and that's the mindset that you got to have with a certain like if you know your team is that team. And we're going for it. Like, it's not a, it shouldn't be a question. It should drag Dak. Because at some point it's not on coaching. It's on the players. Like I trust my players. My players are going to get the job done. And him consistently going for fourth down, like in the, in the great field position, like midfield, you know, or like not taking long field goals, but just one. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, I hope he doesn't kind of get, you know, cause it only takes that one bad call to kind of be like, Oh man, you shouldn't No, be aggressive implement your will early in the game to let them know we're coming for touchdowns and not field goals, but everything else. Yeah. Go ahead. Keep going. He's being aggressive and smart. I think that's two yes. big, two big things. Um, Jason Gary was also aggressive, but it was very dumb, very uh, <laughs> inconsiderate, very wild, very unpredictable. 
very nonsensical. McCarthy's had a pass of doing that as well, but in the past he could do it because it's like I got Rogers. So now Dak's not Rogers; he's solid. But they're being aggressive, but they're being smart because they're balancing it out and they're choosing the right play calls to execute within the air or on the ground for this team to be successful. So want to touch base on your division before we talk about the John Gruden situation since it just happened. All right, look, so we acknowledge that you're going to win the division. Uh, Philly, New York, and Washington are still there. You haven't played Washington yet. That's the team that swept you guys last season. Out of everybody, out of the three, which team do you feel like when you play these guys again or play Washington twice, do you feel like Dallas is going to have to lock in on and pay respect to because if you slip up, it could be a potential well? My first one would be Giants. That boy, Tony, Kadarius Tony is a problem. Oh, my God. He is a he is. If Odell Beckham and he went on the same team. Oh, my God. That would be such a problem. Um, Yeah. So there will be number one because Saquon can take one one run to 60 yards like it's nothing. Uh, I like Tony and I like Daniel Jones. I mean, he's not perfect by any means, but super athletic can make the throws um, and he's tough and you, you, you need a tough quarterback. I like number two would be Taylor. I like Tyler or Taylor, Tyler, whatever, Heineke, the quarterback. I like him. I think he's like the white Michael Vick, like, like not as fast, but he's real nimble, uh, real mobile. I like him. And then last is Eagles. Listen, I, I don't know what they are. I don't know their identity. I don't know who they are. I don't know if they're going to run the ball. I don't know if they want to throw the ball 20 times. I, I just don't know. So if I don't know in the much football as I watch, I know they don't know. You know what I'm saying? So, that, that that I think they need to figure out who they are. You know what I'm saying? And once they do that, they can probably be a threat. But I would definitely go Giants, number one. Number two, the uh, the, the Washington football team. Because, first of all, you never know when that D-line going to step up. They still got a, one of the top D-lines, even though the defense isn't that good overall. But they still have those boys on the front line. And I like, like I said, I like Tyler Taylor, Heineke, whatever his name is. I like him. So those would be my, my top three. Yeah, the Eagle one is one I can agree with. Yeah. I think that's – I think the Eagle one's accurate. Uh, Giants, I feel like you're a little too high. I like Daniel Jones. I feel like this is important for Daniel – this season is important for his career because mm-hmm. we're talking about him like, okay, he has another bad year, career backup like Mitchell Trubisky. <laughs> but I always felt like with Daniel Jones, he had a lot of Ryan Tannehill in him coming out of Duke. And I just felt like he just needs a better O-line a better offensive coordinator because he throws a, a very underrated deep ball. He does. When he has time. He's very accurate. He was, he was wayward because I think he was hearing the ghost. He was seeing the, the people coming to him that that Cowboys pass rush is nasty, but he's talented. So I think this season is going to allow the giants to realize they can build around him, which I think is good for him personally. Uh, Washington, uh, the defense has been surprisingly underwhelming. I, I'm, I'm going to just go out and say it. I kind of put it last year. So I'm gonna put it on wax. I think Chase Young is overrated. Like, I, I don't feel like he makes the impact plays that matter. When the Saints played against Washington yes, yesterday, and our offensive line has been surprisingly underwhelming this year because of injuries to McCoy and Armstead, he wasn't really getting home. You know who was getting home? And he got home in the playoffs against Tampa. Montez Sweat, he was getting home. Deron Payne, he was getting home. So Chase Young is, I think from a marketing standpoint, is phenomenal. Um, he's got great Barely. energy. He, he's, yep. he's invested in the game. He loves the game of football, but he's not impactful because 
moves. He don't have enough moves. And I feel like at the D-line, especially in this era, hand placement is important. Your ability to utilize your agility, that's important to get to the quarterback because you're going against tackles that are just as strong as you, just as athletic as you. So you mm-hmm. can't just Jadavion Clowney it and hope it works. It's not going to. So that's my issue with Washington. I always felt like Taylor Heineke was better than Fitzpatrick. I thought they should have started off on Heineke week one. If they did, they'd probably beat the Chargers. But it took Fitzpatrick getting hurt. Now it's like we're going to roll with Heineke. Heineke's problem is he's cool, but the arm doesn't wow you. And at times he gets tunnel vision, which is expected from him. And I think that cost him against the Saints. He had a couple of ill-advised picks late. Philly, you said it best. I don't really know what their identity is. They beat Atlanta, and it seemed like their identity against Atlanta was balanced. Utilize the run to establish the pass. And it worked because the Falcons' defense sucks. It's gotten a little bit better since then, but it worked because it sucks. Carolina, they only beat Carolina because Sam Darnold sucks. And I tried to tell people that he sucks too, but all I heard was, man, look, look at what Sam doing. Okay. He's different. <laughs> look at what Sam doing, but they play the Jets. Jets defense <laughs> is underrated, but yeah, it's the Jets. They played my Saints, who eight dudes was out with COVID. We didn't have a coaching staff. The defense was hurt. So he was cool then. They played the Texans. That was probably his best game. But I thought Houston played particularly well defensively. The issue is they don't have the corners and then they don't have a quarterback. Dallas was the measuring stick. And I just felt like, you know, Dallas defense is underrated. We're going to see. And he looked like New York Jets, Sam Donald. He was throwing picks. He was getting skittish Mm -hmm. in the pocket. That O-line's already not that good. Um, And then when they played the Eagles, they were beating Philly because their defensive line overwhelmed Philly's offensive line because Philly's offensive line is not what it was week one. A lot of guys have gotten hurt, Brandon Brooks and whatnot. So they were overwhelming them. But Sam kept them in the game because they kept putting the ball in his hands to make plays, and he threw it to the other team. Kudos to Darius Slay. He was washed last season. He's a lot better this year, so good for him. But Philly got two wins off of, I think, a team in Atlanta that's just not that good and a team in mm-hmm. Carolina that's realizing their quarterback is a liability. They play Tampa next and Philly. I don't think they're going to win that game. So, And another thing that's important, and I want to hear your opinion on Hurts. Jalen Hurts is a nice guy. He's not an NFL starting quarterback. I, I, I that's, that's what I feel. I think he's a backup. I think he's Tyrod. But I think Tyrod's a little better than him because I think Tyrod throws the ball better. That's me personally. I always felt that way. A lot of people were rooting for him because of his story in Alabama to OU. What do you feel about Hurts? Is he the reason why Philly's being held back? Because I think personally he is. This is my – I actually like Jalen Hurts. Um, I really do. I, I think he's a tough guy. I think he's a, a tough quarterback. I think he needs the right. If you get him, I'm gonna be 100 with you. I'm gonna be 100 real with you. You put him with a Sean Payton. You put him with uh, uh, the the boy out of San Francisco, Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan. You you get him with a great play caller that understands his skill set and understands what we can do to to maximize it. I think you have a I think you have a a good match made in heaven. My issue is if you think he's Tom Brady, if you think he's Justin Herbert, if you think he's Patrick, he's not that. So him dropping back 30, 35, he, I think he threw the ball, what, 40, 40, 50 times in one game? If I'm not mistaken, I think against the Cowboys, he threw it like 40 times or something like that, like something crazy like that, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. That's not him. That's that's not what you want. If you get Jalen Hurts throwing the ball 40 times, you want. I don't, I, don't I don't give a damn what you're talking about. My thing is this. 
is I, I really do think he can be a starting quarterback because take him to the Dolphins. I'll take I'll take Jalen Hurst over Tua any day of the week. Tua is not – I didn't like that boy coming out the draft. He's not good. God almighty, he's not good at all. So I, there's there's people he can start over. I think he's a starting quarterback. Uh, I don't think they, they, got, they got the right coach for him. I really think if he would have stayed with Doug Peterson for another year, I really think they could have made it work because of the RPO style system that Doug Peterson loves to run. I really think it would have worked out really well. And I, I think they jumped the gun on that firing. I think he should have got a, a, another year with, uh, with Jalen Hurts, but we'll see. Yeah, Doug, great point. Doug Peterson would have been a, a solid fit there. I know why they got rid of him, him and how we were beefing. And I think Doug, the way it ended in Philly, he was doing all of that with Carson and Jalen because he never got an official co-sign from the front office like, look, you're our guy and this is our guy moving forward. If they would have told yeah. him, you're not going nowhere and we want you to roll with Jalen, he would have rolled with Jalen because I don't think he disliked Jalen. I don't think he didn't trust Jalen. I think it was kind of like, y'all want me to put Jalen out here, but then y'all saying big up Carson Wentz for the sake of his ego. Like, what are we doing here? So yeah, I, I can agree with Sirianni. I don't know if Sirianni is the answer because his play calling is a very helter skelter. How they played week one against Atlanta is how they should be playing the rest of the year. But that's not what they do. They don't run it enough with Miles Sanders. Uh, they do have Hurts dropping back to throw all the time. But I think Hurts' biggest problem, and I saw it against Dallas, he needs to leave the pocket 90% of the time to make an accurate throw. And mm. I don't know if that's because he's short. I don't know if it's because he doesn't feel like he can make the needle type throws in the pocket to throw guys open. Like he breaks contain a lot earlier than he should. And I saw that against Dallas because that's how Philly was getting a lot of holding penalties. The protection was solid in for him to stand in the pocket and make the throw, but he broke contain to throw to a Goddard to throw to a Devonta Smith. And it's 50 50 with him. Sometimes he breaks contain and throws a bomb. That's perfect. Other times he breaks the pocket and throws something that's wayward. So I think that you got to figure out there. I, I heard Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson, I think personally with Deshaun Watson, no team should ever, ever say they want to get Deshaun Watson until the legal stuff is, is over. If it, like I don't, I don't really get that, but that's what they want. I do feel like they're a quarterback away from being a better team than what they are because their defense is, is decent. They got a solid front four. So yeah, that's my thing with Philly. Now, I want to talk about the John Gruden thing with, with Vegas. I, I guess I got to ask you, have you heard what's happened with Gruden the past few days? So I heard he sent a, uh, a, a racist email. Yeah, uh, yeah he, he did. About, about, a, about a player back in 2010 or 2011, if I'm not mistaken. It, I think it, wasn't a, it wasn't a player. It was, I think his name is, and I'll pull it up. It was, it was the head of player operations in the league. So it was like a guy higher than him. And he wasn't in the league then. He was working for ESPN. Um, and he I said something was, like uh, Bozis or Debozy, something like that. I don't know. I think he said like Dumbo Smith has mich has lips like tires, the basically Michelin like, tires. The Michelin yeah, tires. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right, yeah. right. So he said that. Um, and I, a lot of I'm gonna just be honest. Look, I'm gonna be honest. It's my segment, so I'm gonna keep it a stack. A lot of white people gave him pass because it's like he wasn't in the league and had some black guys defending him that worked with him on ESPN, Mike Tarico and whatnot. Tony Dungy, the coach now works for the media. They're like, look, I got to take him at his word. He didn't mean that. So uh, before we came on, Gruden called, uh, he called Roger Goodell a pussy. He said the F, the gay Epsler about Michael Sam. This is 2011. Yeah, he said a lot of out-of-pocket stuff 
that got exposed from that email. Wow. And that led that led him to resign. So you have a lot of people. I'm gonna be honest. A lot of white people. That's like, yo, um, snowflake culture, cancel culture, yada yada yada. But I'm like, look, man, they was gonna give you a pass with the Smith one. They was gonna give you a pass on that. Yeah. But you said the homophobic slurs about Michael Sam. You said the Roger Goodell's a pussy. Like, bro, you you can't do that. And so now yeah. he's out of a job. He's not coaching the Raiders anymore. Your thoughts on that? I'm, I'm going to pull it up to read what he said in particular, but your thoughts on that? Like, do you think the lead, do you think, because I'll be honest, the Raiders told that dude, you got to lose. I don't think he resigned out of his own free will. So with yeah. Vegas, do you think they did the right thing doing that? Or Absolutely. do you feel like they should have? Okay. And Absolutely. why do you think and, so? And, the, and this is my thing with that, because the NFL is looking at the NBA, right? And the NBA is a player-driven league. And we all know the NFL is not. But the NFL is is driven by the players, but it's not it's not ran by the players. And the NBA is ran by the players. And I think with, with the PC culture, with uh, everything being so cancel this and cancel that, you can't let this slide. And, and the NFL has already been, you know, having – having hits of on their shield about, you know, domestic violence and, you know, inclusion, not having enough black coaches, not having enough black GMs, not having enough black ownership. You can't keep taking these hits and not showing that, Hey, we're about our players. We're about our, um, our institution because the only thing that's saving the NFL is that there are too many players to strike. That's the only thing that's saving them because if there was about, if everybody got played pretty much the same or anything like that, if the NFL actually, if the players actually striked against the NFL, a lot of things would change because you're starting hitting a lot of people where it hurts in their pockets. So I'm, I'm glad that the NFL made this move. Um, I also think, and if we're going a little further, I think the NFL needs to allow a black ownership group to take over a team or something, but that's a whole other topic. But I am glad that John Gruden is out of there and, and that they did it quickly. It wasn't something that was drugged out or anything like, no, no, bro, you guys to go. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to read. So follow follow me when I read this. It's a couple paragraphs that the I think the New York Times made an article about it. So Gruden's messages were sent to Bruce Allen. We know they're investigating the Washington football team for their situation that they had. So mm-hmm. this is a part of the investigation. By investigating Washington, I don't wow. know if somebody from Washington was like, yo, I could tip you off to something bigger so you won't, you know how it is, Professor. Uh, it's tough. So Gruden's messages were sent to Bruce Allen, the former president of the Washington football team, and others while he was working at ESPN as a color analyst during Monday Night Football. In the emails, Gruden, who's 58, called the league's commissioner, Roger Goodell, a faggot and a clueless anti-football pussy and said that Goodell should not have pressured Jeff Fitcher, then the coach of the Rams, to draft queers. That's a reference to Michael Sam a gay player chosen by the team in 2014. In numerous emails during a seven-year period ending in early 2018, Gruden criticized Goodell and the league for trying to reduce concussions and said that Eric Reed, a player who had demonstrated during the playing of the national anthem, should have been fired for doing what he did. In several instances, Gruden used a homophobic slur to refer to Goodell and offensive language to describe some NFL owners, coaches, and journalists who cover the league. So, that, that's all that was right there. So I'm, I'm going to be honest. Gruden is clearly racist and clearly 
homophobic. So I know a lot of people were trying to act like he wasn't that, but the stuff I'm reading it in these emails that he's sending, not, he's not sending emails to his friend that's not affiliated to the NFL. He's affiliated with the NFL by working for ESPN on Monday Night Football, and he's sending this out to Bruce Allen. So you're sending this to a co-worker in the league. How do you think that's going to end? So when I hear people say cancel culture, the dude canceled himself. Look, man, <laughs> I, I canceled himself. That's he's stupid. That's and look, look, Gruden, look, I'm gonna be honest. I don't care what Gruden's beliefs are or whatnot. It doesn't matter to me. But what does matter is by putting that out there for public consumption, you're basically telling your roster that ha 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 has a gay football player on your team and Carl Nassib. That's why he that's why he had to go. Because yeah. Nassib's on your squad. So you're yeah. saying this in reference to disrespect other people. We know how you feel about him. You can't represent that team. Also, predominantly black squad, yada, yada, yada. Now, want to talk about the tire thing he said about the Maurice Smith. I think that was his name. Um, there's been a lot of whole back and forth online. I kind of backed off it because it's like, it is what it is. Believe what mm -hmm. you want to believe. The lip comment. Uh a lot of people were saying, yo, he wasn't saying that as a racial jab. He was just saying it because his lips big. What's the big deal? And if he said he wasn't being racist, then he wasn't being racist. My whole opinion on that is, look, I don't care what he is or isn't. But if you put it out publicly, then I got to I got to I got to analyze it. Historically, when white people talk about black people's lips is utilized as a sign of a caricature type disrespect minstrel show esque. That's mm -hmm. what it is. That's what it's always going to be if you're a white person and antagonize a black person because of that. That's just how it is. If you're mad that it is what it is, then you should be mad at your ancestors. But hey, that's another topic for another day. So that so for that being that, I already was like, bro, like uh, Gruden got to go. But they was going <laughs> to let him pass. And, I, and, and everybody was helping him because he's confidants that work in the media were like he said he wasn't racist so and then the white people publicly was like it's no big deal but you did everything else and then bro you can't talk about the commissioner i mean you can't and yeah. i like, get it out publicly so it, it's over and done with now focusing on the raiders as a team three weeks ago it was all good like it was there was three and oh and you know nothing could go wrong they lose to the chargers on monday night uh, that that game honestly could have been worse if Carr didn't come out and lead a couple of drives to make the score a little bit more respectable. And then you lose to the Bears and Justin Fields' <laughs> second start at home. So they're three and two. Now you're gonna have a new coach in that's gonna replace Gruden for the Raiders. Uh, is this deja vu all over again because they had fast starts before and it, and it's a slide. We see what the Chargers are doing. Kansas City's next three games are against Washington. Tennessee and New York. So they're not going to be below 500 forever. Mm -hmm. What should be the Raiders mindset moving forward now that you got to search for a new head man? You know, what teams like that, usually they either galvanize or they break apart because what happens is the locker room splits. You're going to have some players in there that said that feel that John Gruden shouldn't have been fired. Some Mostly black players are going to feel that he should have been. So you're going to have that divide. You got to fight through that. You're going to have distractions from all the media come up to you. Oh, did you think John Gruden was racist? Have you ever heard John Gruden? Say? So it's going to be a lot of distractions on top of that. And Derek Carr has, 
every it seems like every game Derek Carr is proven he's a friend. He has to prove he's a franchise quarterback because you just don't know what you're going to get from him. You don't know if you're going to get a 350 and four touchdown game or you're going to get a 260 and two touchdowns and two picks. You just don't know. So hopefully, because I know him and Gruden did not get along. I know they were at odds with each other. Um, they because Gruden didn't think he was a franchise guy and. You know, Derek Carr felt the same, felt that he was. So I think whoever comes in has to kind of speak to Derek Carr and let him know that he believes in him or whatever and that he can get him right. And they got to run the ball better. They, they have to be more consistent and run the ball. Josh Jacobs, you have the rookie that you got as well. You guys got to run the ball. And then, come on, man, Darren Waller, you got to get him more involved with everything you do. You know what I'm saying? If it, if it should really run through the running game and through Darren Waller, your offense, because Nelson Aguilar is not all world. And I don't even know who your other receiver is. So. Yeah. For the first time in a while, since Mac left Khalil Mac left, and even before he left, they weren't that good at doing this either. They got a pass rush. So that's mm-hmm. good. The problem is their secondary has been getting caught up with injuries. So now you're starting a lot of young guys, but they have a pass rush that's promising. Why, why receiver wise Aguilar is no longer with the squad. So now they're utilizing uh, Henry Rux, who had a rookie year that was yeah, non-existent. Yeah. Now they're going deep to him a lot more. I do agree they need to go to Darren Waller more. Biggest thing is they got to run the football better, but it's hard to do that when that offensive line that John Gruden was a part of drafting, along with Mike Mayock, you draft Alex Leatherwood, who clearly is not it. And we all knew <laughs> that then. He's not it. Reach. Um, Reach. And it's, you're struggling to establish a running game with Josh Jacobs, who – he, the best thing he had coming from into the league was his senior year is when he really played. So a lot mm-hmm. of people are like, he doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on his body. So he's a perfect running back to establish a rapport with. Now he's in the league. He gets hurt every year. So he's, he's hurt, often hurt, not establishing a running rapport with Kenyon Drake. Your best form of running game has been with Peyton Barber. Last but not least, Derek Carr. I like Derek Carr. I think the best thing that they've done this year is kind of put the game on his shoulders, expanding the playbook a little more. But mm-hmm. what we've seen the last two weeks is, We've seen it with the Chiefs, too, with Mahomes. That gets you so far. You need balance in this league. I mean, a quarterback – you need a quarterback that can take over a game some weeks for sure, but you need balance because now you're going against teams. The Chargers and the Bears have ferocious D-lines. So if Carr drops back to throw all the time, they're going to get home eventually. And on the other end, those squads have offenses that are functionable enough to where your defense isn't going to be able to get stops all the time. So I think that's what the Raiders got to figure out moving forward. One more thing I want to add on the Gruden situation, then we can move on to the maps. Look, man, he said all that in 2011. I think it's very important that that article said these are a string of emails dating from 11 to 18, so seven years. So for seven years, he kept that same energy because what I've heard from people <laughs> is, is in 2011, he said the racist stuff, and it's like, yo, that's 2011, man. I mean, nobody cared about racism and gay slurs i'm like they did bro it's it's more of a pc thing to be upfront about it now but nobody i don't see you run around your job like if black people because you know <laughs> you can't do that. so come on but um i'm glad that they said this is a string of who he is and you can't escape that if that's how you talking for seven years on an email to a guy that works in the same corporation that you work for you too comfortable and you gotta go so Glad that they wrapped it up. I, I'll be interested to see what Undisputed and First Take and all these Ooh. talk shows have to say about that. I know uh, Shannon going to be passionate about it because he was never a big group fan. So it'll be <laughs> interesting to see where that goes there. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks are up next in the NBA. I know that's your team. 
And the regular season's coming. It's going to come in a couple, I think next week. I know it starts on my birthday, October 19th. So it'll be good to see that. Uh, the Mavs, our squad script that last year, I think we all thought after game two, they were up 2-0. We're like, man, they're going to beat the Clippers. They, they really going to go to the second round. And they never won a home playoff game, which is why they lost. That was the weirdest. That was the weirdest series, I swear. Yeah, it, it was it was weird. So now they kind of bring back the same team with a different coach, Jason Kidd. Two things I want to touch base on. I want to talk about Luca first. He's the best player. He's great. I do feel he's a little bit overrated. I want to see your opinions on that. Do I, and I, I'm a preface it. Hold on. We're we gonna dive into it though. Do you honestly feel, though, he has to be a better playmaker? Because we know what he can do as a scorer, but a lot of people raved about who he was as a talent coming out of his homeland as he can playmake. And we haven't seen that enough at the professional level in the NBA. Does he need to get others involved a little bit more to balance out their offensive repertoire so it's not too easy for defenses to be like keying on Luka and live with everybody else? My, my throwback question to you would be is who would he give it to? Because Kristaps isn't the guy. He's, the, he's not well, the guy. Unicorn, well, I mean, first of all, he's hurt. Let's, let's say okay. that he's hurt. And yes. not consistent. He's not consistent, but go ahead. Yeah. Um, Porzingis, we agree. Ever since the Achilles tear he had with the Knicks, he doesn't stay healthy. First it was the Achilles. No, it was the ACL. First it was the ACL. Then it was the back. Then it's his arm, his leg. It's everything. Like He stays hurt. However, I thought... In the playoff series last year, when he was on the floor, he had gripes about not getting the ball enough in more different places on the floor that he's comfortable scoring out of. And I thought that was valid because I thought Carlisle, as the season went on, got lazy offensively because we know Carlisle is a defensive guy. So he locks in on the defensive side. And I think offensively, he compromised at that size of the floor because he looks at it as Lucas, my best player. I'm a ride hard away because he's fearless. I'm going to go with Jalen Brunson because he's gritty. That's my type of player. And Bump Porzingis, that dude stay hurt all the time. That, that's, that's his mindset, and I think that killed him in a playoff. So with Porzingis, he's hurt, but he's talented. And what I've seen so far in the preseason, he looks healthier. We'll see how long that lasts because now we're back to an 82-game season. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be important for kids to incorporate him more in the floor of the offense and the games that I've seen in the preseason. They're giving it to him more in the post, on the elbow, on pick and rolls, he's diving to the basket and Lucas finding him. Now he feels more incorporated and involved. And you need a guy like that to be like that type of player because you brought him in here to be an offensive weapon to take pressure off of Luca. I think that's important. Now, Luca being hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me okay. let me ask you. Let me go with that point because I I absolutely agree with you. Um, later in the playoffs, you just saw Przingis at the three point line. I'm like, bro, you're seven two. Why are you on the three point line? Like, what are we doing? Elbow post, like, and I and I'm a, I'm a formal like I, I coach AAU basketball and stuff like that. So that's something that's really passionate of mine. So seeing things like that really really bothered me. And I agree with you. I think Jason Kidd is probably the best thing that happened to Luca because of the mindset of a point guard and having him say okay i know what you can do luca but what what can you do for your others what can you do for other players because you being able to score whenever you can is great that 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 you have to and that's the thing about lebron and i know i'm going if you will i think that's the thing about what people have to understand about lebron he always knows i can get mine that that's not an issue 
It's how can I help the players get theirs? That's when you become a great team. And I think if Luca figures that part out of the game, it's going to take it that much easier because now you're worried about those other players and not just focusing on Luca. But go ahead. Yeah, I agree with that sentiment as well. You you want Luca. I talked about this on my last episode. The regular season is all about establishing a rotation and a rapport and a level of comfortability with all the players that you feel like are going to be key cogs exactly. in a postseason run. So Luca, I think throughout this season, yeah, he's probably an MVP favorite. We're going to see games and nights where he gets 50, and it's like, wow, he took over. But I need to see more games where he's averaging a triple-double. Not a Westbrook-esque triple-double, but a natural triple-double where it's like, all right, I'm featuring Kristaps in a half-court set, or I'm riding a yeah. hot hand at Tim Hardaway. I think yeah. that'll make everything more fluid for that team offensively. Luca, overall, why I say he's overrated a little bit, he's a great talent, but when you start talking about him like uh, he's top five in the league, I think that's a little bit premature because, in my opinion, to be top five in the league today, you got to be able to succeed in the postseason. He hasn't done that consistently because he hasn't gotten out of the first round. That's it. Now, if he had a Trey Young type of run this past year, then I don't have a problem. He's getting all the love he should get. But I feel like Trey Young is getting lesser love for what he did in the postseason than what Luka did, especially considering that Luka was up 2-0 and 3-2 had chances to close out the Clippers two separate occasions and didn't do it. Now, a lot of that had to do with bad coaching, but other aspects had to do with Luka kind of getting comfortable with how he is as a player, and that's all I'm saying on Luka. not saying he's not a great player. He is. But when you start labeling people like they're the it guy, they're next, and they're top five, it's like got to see the postseason success first before I open the door and let him in into that conversation. That's fair. That's, you know, and – I, that's fair. I, I can't. When you broke it down like that, that's fair because Trey went. He went stupid, and and he was the catalyst for that team in the big moments, uh, making the big shots. You know, doing the listen that ice tray poses. That thing cold blooded, bro. Um, so I, 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 you know what? I was I was really about to push back on it, but when you broke it down like that, I, I do have to be. I do have to. Uh, I have to concede that point because if you are as great as you say you are, you win those games. It's just it's just that simple. You go out and you win those games. Um, I think for me, where I need to see Luca at in the postseason, like you said, getting to the next round, but doing it defensively as well. My issue, like you, ha- listen, my guy, like I get it. You can put the ball in the bucket. You're too young not to be playing defense, though. I'm sorry, you know. And and for Rick Carlisle to be a defensive guy and you he letting you get away with all this, I mean. It's 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 really Olay defense. Like I mean, he just rides with you for a little bit and just lets you go. I'm like, what are we doing? So I hope Jason Kidd gives him a new mindset to be like, hey, we we need you to play some defense, and I think that that would help um, somewhat of the Dallas issues. So yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. What the West is not going to be easy. The West is not going. And you know, you know, Trey was in the East. You know, just want to say that. You know. See, I knew, I knew he was going to slide that Trey was in the East, but <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. But while I'm going hard on Luke, I mean, he was up too well against the Clips, and we all thought, you know, but the defensive, and I'm going to defend him a little bit on this. Defense is about effort. He don't try enough for me, so that's that's why it's glaring, where it's like, yo, like you just let him just go right by. He's got to <laughs> lose. He's got to lose a little bit of weight. I, he's never going to be athletic enough to be able to move with uh, Steph Curry on the perimeter. 
or lateral quickness enough to flow with a driving force like a Giannis or even KD at his age. But what you can be is slim enough to be able to go with somebody where if they attack your paint in a zone, you're able to help and be active. Uh, help defense to create some stool opportunities. We're looking for that. Uh, we, we know that you're limited athletically, so you're not going to be able to defend the shiftier and jumpier guys. But the mm. effort standpoint is huge. And I know why he's doing it. You're saving yourself offensively. But then that goes right back to what I was saying about involving everyone else <laughs> to where you don't have to save yourself offensively because you're carrying them. Everything yeah. evens out on the end. Now, I want to touch base on a couple of teams and then I'll wrap it up with maybe a question there. Uh, I know your favorite guy is LeBron. The Lakers got they got they squad. It, in my opinion, it'd be loaded in 2014. But hey, you know that's just me. It's a loaded squad, but there's a problem that people are starting to see. Russell Westbrook is doing Russell Westbrook things. He's turned the ball over. I hate him a lot. I never wanted a it to lot, a lot. Uh, how long do you think LeBron is gonna let this ride? Because I know Westbrook is bypassing it. Like, yeah, I'm turning the ball over, but it's preseason. Don't like that mindset personally. I, I the mindset I would appreciate from Westbrook more is I don't like that I'm turning the ball over. I know it's gonna take time, but it's unacceptable. I'm a vet in this game. I gotta be better for this team. You can't have the mentality that he's accustomed to early used to having when he was with OKC and Washington, where it's like I'll figure it out because I'm the face of the franchise or I'm partly the face of the that franchise. guy. Right. So, how long is LeBron gonna let this ride? Because I think I, if he's gonna play like this up into the All Star break. He's he going to get traded. How long do you think he's going to let it rock? Not long. Not long at all because he has a lot to prove because of the fact of how they went out um, and how everything went down last year, you know, with, you know, AD going down and stuff like that. Um, my thing is this. I When they made that trade, I was like, what are you doing? Me and, too. Oh, my gosh. I agree. Now, if there's a part of it that I'm like, okay, you could take the pressure off LeBron. You know, Westbrook's a full steam ahead, but he's just never been great. He's never been a great decision maker. That's not his thing. He's never been that. So to put him in a position to where now he is the overall, like, general of where the ball is going, no. No. I would rather you have brought Rondo back, let Westbrook go, and just ride out with, you know, picking up players around that and just letting Rondo and, and LeBron switch out playing point because Rondo's play with AD. They have a good chemistry. LeBron can play with AD. They have a good chemistry. And, and Rondo, LeBron, and AD can all be on the floor at the same time and not really clash with one another. So that's my thing with Westbrook and LeBron and AD. Like, you going you gonna, first of all, you're going to let LeBron and Westbrook shoot because you're like, I'll live with that other than y'all going to the paint any day. So, it's just it does just it just doesn't make sense to me and, and what they're trying to do. Uh, I love the Carmelo pickup. I think that was amazing. Uh, I love is because you let you sit LeBron out. See, and this is the thing: you sit LeBron, you still got Rondo. Rondo can orchestrate the whole. Th- it, it it was perfect, and I just think adding Westbrook was just too much spice. Like you just like you don't need all that. The goal was I get it. The goal for the Lakers was we got to get rid of Shooter and Kuzma. Uh, Shooter cost us in the playoffs. Although I feel like Shooter was a little bit the, – the hate on Shooter was a little bit overextended because I feel like he was at times like their most consistent guard on their team. And then Kuzma was, you know, Kuzma. Like, I, oh, Although right. I feel like Kuzma's fit with LeBron, never going to work because I feel like he's much more than just a spot-up shooter, to be fair. But in that spot-up shooter role, he wasn't consistent. So I get that. That was the goal. Uh, the Buddy Heel deal should have happened. 
Yes. Because Buddy Heald can shoot. And also, Buddy Heald can shoot not just in catch-and-suit situations. He can shoot on the move. So you can have plays, the Danny Green plays that you ran when yep. you won the chip. That's Buddy Heald now. And if guys close out on Buddy, he can put it on the floor and get to the basket. That just made more sense to me. They should have traded for Kyle Lowry at the trade deadline and gotten Buddy Heald in the trade in the offseason. Now you have Kyle Lowry, Buddy Heald in your backcourt instead of Russell Westbrook. And it looks like uh, Malik Monk is going to start. I like Malik Monk. I, I, I like Malik. I, no, I, I do I like Malik. Malik. I, I do like Malik. Malik. But I don't think Malik's better than Buddy. I think Malik's more no, of a guy. No, not even close. Yeah. Not even so, close. I think the biggest with LeBron, issue. Yeah, yeah, but I'm sorry. With, with LeBron, you don't, I don't need you to. And, and this is the thing about LeBron. I, I kind of, I hate that he has uh, this much control because he said he wanted to play with a veteran. He didn't want to play with. But Buddy Hill's a veteran. Well, he's been in the league five, six years. Like, and he's been a consistent 37, 36% uh, three-point shooter. Um big game maker, like, you know I mean? Big shot maker. So you need that. And I don't think he had a problem taking a back seat with Russ Brook. Russ Brook has a problem taking a back seat. If you don't want to take a seat to Kevin Durant, if you don't want to take a back seat to him, you're not about to take a back seat to LeBron. I'm sorry. It's just not going. That's not his makeup. And, and look, and don't get me wrong. I love Westbrook for his makeup, but it's only, you, you got to understand when it, when you need it and when you don't. And on this team, you don't need that kind of energy. I just need people who understand their role or are happy with their role and are for the team. And Westbrook, to me, has never been about the team. It's always been about Westbrook. Go ahead. Yeah, and the things that I saw in the preseason are my biggest fears. Is he going to clog the lane? Yes, because he doesn't move without the basketball. So he's just going to stay camped out on the corner. And then when he does have the basketball, it's a lot of clutter because he can't shoot and he's driving to the hole even with Dwight Howard or AD in the paint with them. So that's an issue. Then the next thing, all right, make the mid-range because that's what he used to be really good at. He can't do that anymore. So now, now it doesn't space the floor, doesn't move without the basketball, can't make the mid-range shots. And last but not least, he's turned the ball over a lot. So now it's like, okay, he was the X factor. He was the guy where if Westbrook is able to fit with these guys, it's going to be seamless. Now, it doesn't look like it is and it's become a point where it's kind of like if he doesn't play well how are you going to get rid of him because I don't really see a team just taking on his contract unless a team at the Austin race like you know what we're tanking we'll let him come here you're not going to get the transaction that you wanted so I think LeBron worked really hard on the I need vets and I also think because he's he a little petty I think he thought right, I'm gonna get Westbrook because everybody like can't win with Russ I'm gonna win with him you're not going to win with Russell Westbrook, LeBron, as great as you are. You're not. First of all, your play styles don't match. You're not KD who can space the floor, so you're going to be clogging the lane as well. And yeah, then number yeah. two, he, I know they got him because it's like he's Rondo S. But two things. One, you want to got Rondo anyway. So I'm like, dude, like if you go get Rondo anyway, then you didn't need Russ. And then two, he's not Rondo S because he's a horrible decision maker. He is not a natural point. I know people love saying those assists, though. Yes, eight of those assists were usually simple pick and rolls where Adams would just dive to the hoop and he just lob it up. But in yeah. the five-minute aspect of the game, five minutes down in the fourth, during a half-court set, Westbrook, we need you to set up Brad. Or Westbrook, we need you to set up Durant on a back door on a simple little pin-down action. 
say your prayers because he's not doing that. He's just going to jack it up. So, yeah, man, I think LeBron personally, you know, put up with it from an egotistical standpoint now. But if we get near the all-star break and you're not living up to par, and the reason why is because Westbrook is erratic, you got to cut your ties and let him go. You, you do. Cut him. If, if, if you got to cut him and the yeah, Lakers got to eat it, that's that's the Lakers organization problem, not yours, because I think Westbrook is going to hold them back. Also, you know, AD possibly getting hurt as well. Um, last but not least in the East, uh, the Nets, you know, Nets got their whole thing going on with Kyrie. Will he play? Will he not play? Steve Nash came out and said, look, he ain't going to take the vaccine. So we're preparing for him to not play home games. Um, I think that's a recipe for disaster personally, because this ain't the NFL where it's like, all right, um, we could be a wild card team and never have to play a road game again. Seven game series. You're going to play home games. I don't think this is going to work out at all. Ky- they're putting up with it with Kyrie because me and my friends were having this conversation. Somebody was like, yo, why did they kick Melo out the league? Like when Melo was like, I'm not going to start. I'm going to be a backup. I was like, well, Melo was operating under an egotistical standpoint of I'm still Carmelo and you're not. So that made them really expendable. When you come up with these debonairs, like I need to be treated like this because I'm Melo and you're not that guy anymore. They're tolerating mm-hmm. it with Kyrie because Kyrie's still a special talent. That's a box office, but they're only going to tolerate that for so long. The issue that the Nets have is you can't trade Irving because no one wants him. Everybody knows he's not taking the vaccine. So there's, there's this rumor of, if you trade him, he's going to retire. So I'm not going to trade for a dude that won't play. And all those assets I gave you, I'm not getting back in return. Get nothing back. Right. So bottom line is, does Brooklyn need Irving, in your opinion, to win a championship? And what should Kyrie, if Kyrie really cares about basketball, does he have to play? Or does it just come down to... First of all, I thought he was going to game the system, but I'll let you answer. I thought he was going to game the system by being like, I'm Muslim, so I shouldn't have to take it. But he's really embracing, like, I'm not going to take it. So for the sake of his career, does he need to take it or just do what he's doing right now, and that's going to be good enough? Okay, so let me ask you a first question. I'm going to go to your vaccine question. My first, the, Do they need him? Yes. I don't trust Harding in big games. That's He's never been somebody I can trust. He, uh, he he can't make the big shot. He doesn't make the right decision. Um, I was surprised that he got that block that one year against the dude from OKC. To say, I was like, oh, shoot, who is this guy? Um, so, yeah, they need him. Uh, Kyrie is a big shot maker, big shot taker. He's that guy that you want in crunch time. He's not scared to take that. So, uh, and like I said, repeating myself, I don't trust James Harden. Um, the vaccine. I If anybody... Anybody listening to this podcast, go watch Draymond Green's explanation of why he wasn't going to make Andrew Wiggins take the vaccine. I think it was the most profound thing that Draymond Green has ever said in his illustrious basketball career. It's simply saying, if you feel that you as a person do not feel comfortable or whatever, who am I to tell you what to do with your body? And then on the second top, on the top part of that, it doesn't. Like we all know it doesn't prevent you from getting COVID. It doesn't stop the spread of COVID. It doesn't do any of that. So you're force feeding somebody something that they feel is not going to stop anything. So he just takes it like, I mean, let's, I don't want to count your pockets, Kyrie, but we know you don't need the money. I would assume you don't. So it's really just a personal feeling that why are you forcing me to do it? And then like Draymond said, now you have this, you have this stigma of 
vacciners against non-vacciners and it's like gangbanging. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's really like a gang out here. Like, yo, you got your card? Oh, you ain't got your card? Oh, no. Nah. Like, so it, it's getting it's getting pretty ugly. So I stand with Kyrie that he doesn't, that he chooses not to do the vaccine. And you know what I'm saying? Because to me, let's think about it. And I know this is going, I'm, I know I'm taking this left and I do apologize. If Kaepernick would have stopped kneeling, if they would have told him he wouldn't got paid anymore, would they have been so influential? You know, like, oh, you know, he's just doing it for the money. Like, oh, he stopped doing it. So it's just, to me, it's the same thing with Kyrie. If you if you have that strong a belief, and I'm not saying his belief is good or bad because it's his choice. I'm just saying if you believe in what you believe in, stand on that. I don't care if you take money out of my pocket. I don't, I don't want to do it. So I respect it. I really do. Um, And it, it to me, it's bigger than it's bigger than basketball for him because he, he wants to stand on something he believes in. I rock with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, with Kyrie not taking it, I'm gonna be honest, like I don't really care what he does. Like personally, I understand that we both acknowledge what stops the spread of the virus is everybody being responsible, which clearly not enough people are, which is why this is stretched out so long. That's yeah. the end goal. So I think my biggest thing with non-vaccinators is when they say, like, I don't want to take it because I don't know what's in there. That's cool. Like, I understand. Like, that's cool. But in the same breath, like, I mean, they got unprotected sex. They eat whatever that's unhealthy. And, like, they don't protect themselves normally mm. enough. So with this, for them to pull out that, I just feel like it's their their way of just not owning up to it. Like, I'm not taking that ish. Like, I don't care. Like, I respect mm. you for saying that. Then, And that's really mm -hmm. what Kyrie's saying. He, he was just like, I ain't doing it. And he's saying it by, like, not doing it. So I think with Irvin, the problem I have with Kyrie is he's talking like he still want to hoop, but he's acting like he don't. So I'm like, if you want to hoop, fam, you got to you got to take it like you do. I, I'm sorry you do. Unless you have enough pull in the New York governmental state system. That's like, look, man, let people show up to massive events not vaccinated too, and just tell them to wear a mask or whatever. But he doesn't have that pool. Now nah, he's New Brooklyn hooked him up by having like practice sessions outside. So that helped him a little bit. But mm -hmm. um, I think Steve Nash is taking the right approach to tell your squad, look, man, Kai ain't coming for home games. So we gotta we gotta act accordingly. But I think what what Brooklyn should also do, and I and I guess they, they're gonna have to. If you don't play home games, don't pay him. It's like, look, man, we we love you, like you're important to the squad, but if you're not gonna show up to work at the crib then we can't pay you and i think Kyrie will be fine with that so um my issue is he's talking like he want to hoop but he's not acting like he want to hoop so in my opinion mm -hmm. if you're not gonna do it retire and i'm not saying retire like how dare you i'm just saying retire because it'll just end all the noise that everybody's going to consistently have about you and you don't like that which you said so to end all of it just come on and say look i'm gonna I'm retire until they come with a resolution now i've heard the resolution worldwide is the f FDA, I think that's the CDC, FDA. I think it's FDA, yeah. They're saying they made pills that people could take to lessen the chance of you getting COVID if it's in. So that's a new little thing that they dropping, see if it works. But just retire until they come up with a resolution where you don't have to worry about that anymore. But mm -hmm. looks like he's going to play for real. Um, do they need him? Your hard intake was was great. Uh, he, he, he ain't clutch historically. So now you're really going to need him to be clutch with KD instead of like we got KD and Kai, they both clutch historically. Also, he's fat. So because, because he's fat, I'm worried 
that he gonna have another lower leg injury again. That's why he got hurt because he was overweight, trying to finesse his way out of Houston. Then he tried mm. to play his way back into shape. It put a lot of extra stress on his knees, and the way he plays as a guard, it's a lot of stop and go, stop and yeah. go, stop and go. With him, east, west, east, west, right. So you need to be in shape for that. He comes back for camp, and he's still fat. So I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. So they got they got Patty Mills, who I think is a solid. I love, love that. I love Patty. Cam Thomas is a bucket from LSU, so that'll help as well. So they got younger guards that are going to alleviate hard from having to, to run the point all the time. And, you know, he can, like, chill out in the corner a little bit and have catch-and-suit opportunities. But, yeah, I think they need Kyle to win it because with just Harden and KD at their age and how they are, it's an even playing field with Milwaukee. It just is. And, not, and Milwaukee has a prime beast in Giannis who finally turned the corner. He could do everything now. Now, his free throw shooting needs a little bit of work, but uh, in the mid-post, shooting-wise, he's he, he more consistent than what he used to be. So he's a beast. Atlanta, they're young. They're just as up and down as you are, but they're going to do it a lot better because they're young. And Boston, we expect Tatum and Brown just got to be on the floor together, and that's a problem as well. So they, I don't think just having them is enough. And I know a lot of people are saying that because they know deep down. Like, a lot of people are saying it's enough. But I think they're only saying that because they don't want Kai to be on the squad because they know if Kai's on the squad, that's a threat to LeBron. But I, we, yeah. we being real, we both know basketball. Yeah. They need Kai to, to get the chip. They don't have exactly. Kai as an even playing field in the East. That ain't enough. I don't think they come out the East because of that. So anything else you want to add? Uh, listen, man, that Milwaukee team is real. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and, and and I think and what you and what happens is once you get once Giannis gets that monkey off his back that he won the championship, now it's free. It, it, I'm I'm solidified now. Now I'm out here just playing. You know what I'm saying? And because you, you don't have to, oh, I gotta be perfect. Oh, I gotta no. We done did this. We're gonna do it again. And I think there's gonna be a freedom to his game. He's gonna shoot a lot more. He's gonna experiment a lot more because once again, you've You've got to that hill. You've gone over that hill. Now it's like, how much How much better can I get? You doing 50 without a jump shot? Shaq-like. I mean, it's just it's Shaq-like. It's Shaq-like. On, man. It's ridiculous. So if he ever, should ever get a mid-range game, stop it. It's not even fair. It wouldn't be fair. So we saw, I, I really we saw flashes. Yeah, we saw flashes of that mid-range from Milwaukee when they went against Phoenix. He was in the, he was in the mid-post. And he was doing Kobe fades, and they were going in. And he was doing them with regularity. It was just a different feel and a different beat. Yeah. So Milwaukee's here to stay, which is why, you know, if Brooklyn's going to roll out a team without Kyrie, they're a lot more vulnerable to get beaten. So going to wrap up episode 32. Hey, it's great to talk with Offscript, man. It was a great segment. Had a lot of things. We even incorporated some breaking news with John Gruden. It was a great segment <laughs> to have. Uh, but before we go, we're going to have a little bit of a sports questionnaire. Um, and we're going to go on the football aspect, NFL. It's week five, week six, 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 six. Is it six? It's week six. So six, we basically finna be week six. So we're five games in. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the NFC, you can incorporate the Cowboys if you want, because it's, it's of fast. Course. I know there's no squad. Top three teams in the NFC are, in your opinion, five games in. Arizona, top five, right? You do top five, yeah. Uh, okay, Arizona, Tom. Let's just call it what it is. You don't gotta say Tom. Cowboys. Um, 
see. I'm assuming like Rams, Bay, Packers. Bay yeah. and Rams. Green yeah. Bay and Rams. Yeah. I would I will go Rams and Green Bay. I really like Matthew Stafford with um with uh with the K coach that he's with. Sean 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 McVay. Love I think that's a perfect, perfect if if you would have got Matt five years earlier. God almighty, that would have been crazy. But go ahead. Yeah, uh, same five for me. Uh, different order though. Uh, I think, uh, I think Arizona's the best. They undefeated. Um, I'm I was skeptical about Arizona because we know what Cliff Kingsbury represents. College all the way, never make adjustments. Uh, a little bit more adjustments, and I like how, what Collar's doing because he at first last year it was DeAndre Hopkins made his life easier. Now mm-hmm. this year he's making AJ Green look like he can play football again. He's making mm-hmm. Christian Kirk look like a bona fide slot receiver. And Hop hasn't been what he has normally been this season, and they're still flowing offensively. And he's got better protection as well. So he's won two Dallas. Um, they're the healthiest outside of Arizona. They do everything well. They're fundamentally sound. They're real. Uh, Tampa's three. I'm, the only thing about Tampa is they're starting to run the ball a little bit better these last two weeks against the Patriots and the Dolphins. So that's cool. Their secondary is destroyed everybody's hurt and what we know about the nfl is injuries can be here to stay because it's a contact sport so you could come back because it says five weeks later he'll be back but you might never be the same so yeah i feel like against dallas and arizona and the rams and the pack that's going to get exposed like it just is has it been because you played miami and new england but it's going to get exposed against a better comp um i think the rams are better than the packers because they have a better defense, have better impact players. I'm not sold on Stafford. And I started, I think you started to see Stafford showcase his Stafford ways against Arizona and the Seahawks. Now, Seattle, to be fair, hurt his hurt his finger, but even before he hurt his finger, he, he, he wasn't playing very well. My problem with Stafford is he's inaccurate at times. And he'll have those stretches where he struggles with accuracy. Got bailed out because he was inaccurate, but Boys was wide open because Seattle has no secondary. So he was able to get away with it on Thursday night. That's my fear there. They can actually run the football very well with Henderson and Michelle. The problem is Henderson can't stay healthy, but that doesn't matter because they bring Michelle in, run the same concepts, and they get yards. And Green Mm -hmm. Bay is last for me because Aaron Rodgers is the truth, but Jair Alexander may be done for the season. He's the best corner. Like, he Mm -hmm. is their defense. So without him, now you're rolling with Eric Stoltz. He's a rookie, another guy, 2-4. He's a young guy. And Cincinnati didn't expose him early on via the pass, but then they started to down the mm-hmm. stretch, and it was catching up to him. Uh, they need to run the ball a little bit more. I, I think they're doing it well. They just finally utilizing A.J. Dillon. But that's my top five. I think Dark Horse would be the Saints. They just got to get healthy. Um, yeah. They haven't been healthy all year, and they're 3-2. and two. The bye came at a great time for them. They got to get Michael Thomas back. He'll probably come back and trade Quan Smith. Defensively, uh, Quan Alexander being back is going to be huge. And so is Marcus Davenport. They get healthy. I think they'll be right up there with everybody else. AFC, who's your top five? Got to go with the Bills. I, I, I love what the Bills are doing uh, defensively, offensively. That boy Josh Allen is unreal. Uh, is. Chargers will be number two. Um I'm trying to I try to I don't really keep up with a lot of AFC teams like that. Um I want to go Kansas City, but their defense is just I'm gonna say Kansas City five. I'm gonna I'm gonna just put them at five off the rep because their their defense 
I mean, you can believe in Patrick Mahomes all you want. You still got to stop somebody. Uh, three and four for me. I don't know. I have to be I to be hundred percent honest with you. Um, I would like to. I would like to go to Browns just because I feel like if they're good, they're good. But when they're bad, man, it's just like a hell in the handbasket. It's like, what are y'all doing? Um, and three. Uh, you might have to help me out on that one, but yeah, my one and two is definitely uh Buffalo, and number two is definitely Chargers. Yeah, I hope y'all with my top five. Um, one is Buffalo. They've dominated everybody the last four games. Look, I knew Buffalo was going to be fine, even when they lost to Pittsburgh. Because they lost to Pittsburgh because Josh Allen was bugging and the coaching staff was bugging too. I don't know why. Maybe they came out like, yo, it's week one. We hit a hype. Josh for MVP. Let's get him MVP week one. He was off mm-hmm. to establish the running game. So they didn't look good against Pittsburgh. They went back to their balanced roots that they built their team to be, and they mm-hmm. won four straight. They're legit. Chargers are two. I was high on the Chargers coming in. They've maybe looked great so far. Herbert is the man, and as long as Austin Eckler can stay healthy, he's a faction of the running game that's important. Defensively, when Duran James is healthy, he's the best safety in football. They can get to the quarterback before, led by Joey Bosa. Asate Samuel Jr. is nice. He was nice at Florida State. He's nice in the league. So he's t- so they're, they're the second-best team. Third, I'm going to go Baltimore. Right now they lose into the Colts, but it looks like they may win, so we'll see where that goes. What Lamar's been able to do, with, the, with a team that's been decimated. He came in with uh, senior citizens in the backfield. I'm just being real. Like, he didn't have J.K. Dobbins. All his, all his running backs went out in, this, in the preseason. I forgot. Yeah, 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 so he came in with senior citizens, and they playing well. Defensively, Marcus Peters ain't there, so their defense has been able to hold it on. The monkey that they needed to get off the back was beat Kansas City. I think beating them was the best thing that happened for them this year, and they turned the corner. So I'm going to put them at three, four, I'm going to say uh, four, I'm going to say Cleveland, but I'm not sold on Cleveland because they don't trust Baker Mayfield. And if you don't trust your quarterback, you can't win in this league. And they're telling us they don't trust them because they're running the ball a lot. And it's effective. They're the best rushing team in the league. But it's not like they run a football like in Baltimore because Lamar's a faction of their running game. It makes mm-hmm. them dynamic. They're running because we really want to protect Baker from – beating us no, by beating himself. the team yeah. and beating himself, beating the team. So that's the thing. They lost to the Chargers. It became a shootout, and it basically became, all right, who quarterback better, Herbert or Baker? And Herbert by far, and they won. So that's like that, like that's that's our biggest thing. And look, man, in the division, Baker the third-best quarterback. Lamar the best, Burrow the second, he the third. Rock man, I, man, listen, I've been sold on Joe Burrow since his rookie. His swag is just yeah. different. He just got the he just got that quarterback confidence. Just ah, and him and Jamar just oh, they own one. They own one. But go ahead. Yeah, that like he he been at it. Uh, I know everybody knew he had been at it. That's why everybody didn't want him to go to Cincinnati because it's like we don't want to waste a career. But they three and two right now, mainly because of what they've been able to establish defensively and whatnot. Should it be the and, Packers? Right. Should it be the Packers? And five, I'm gonna put them up there. Cincinnati, the fifth best team in the AFC to me. Uh, defensively, they're underrated. They got a lot of old Saints players, so I followed them, and they, they playing well. And then offensively, they protect, they've protected Joe Burrow well enough than what they did last year. His connection with Jamar Chase has been phenomenal. And then I feel like the dark horses, Kansas City, they've had a tough stretch of the season. I think what the season's provided with the Chiefs is they're probably not going to the Super Bowl. But to be fair, 
They're not. But you always to be. But I mean, you always got a chance with Pat. It's just that's with Pat, how it is. Always got a chance with Pat. And to be fair, they've lost to the Chargers, the the Ravens, Ravens. and the Bills. All the Bills. playoff teams. They're all playoff yeah. teams. Now they lost to the Ravens and the Chargers because they turned the ball over too much. Like that's and the Bills just destroyed them. So against other playoff teams, if they control the, if they protect the football, they got a shot. I guess the Bills, they have no shot because their defense can neutralize their offense. And then the Chiefs D can't stop a cold. So that, that's just what that is. But they're a dark horse. I think Kansas City could got Mahomes. And their schedule's light. Next three, like I stated, Washington, Tennessee, the Giants, they'll be fine. They'll be five and three. And then we'll see, you know, by beating up on lesser teams, can they get the momentum? But always got a shot with Pat. Uh Somebody got to come out the AFC South. I don't trust anybody to come out there. Tennessee has no defense, and the Colts have an identity. So that's that there. Uh, anything else? Nah, man. Uh, that, that's all I got. All right. Well, we'll wrap up episode 32. Uh, before I go, I asked Oscar how was the pod, what to look forward to. And uh, oh, before hey, hey, we gotta we gotta collab, bro. Like I gotta collab on your on your uh YouTube. Like so oh, whatever. come on, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. gotta collab. So, so I know you are more the welcome man and more than welcome you you know we can get yeah. this schedule going and uh yeah because I, I don't know let me see i got you know i got class and stuff now so yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, I'm, a, I'm a busy man, let me stop. Yeah, man. <laughs> but no, man most definitely i would i would love to have you on uh talk some swag football uh and and uh see where see where we can go from there yeah for sure so we just exchange schedules and do that but um just talk about the pod and uh what you're looking forward to in the swag nfl moving forward Man, off script is we're growing, man. I'm growing, uh, trying to probably do some more skits, do some more funny stuff, little funny bits and stuff like that. I have a little series called As the Swag Turns. People are really, uh, people really enjoy that. Um, so trying to get that, uh, trying to do consistently with that. Um, in the swag, man, I'm just looking for consistency and competitive football. I mean, that's really all I can ask. You know what I'm saying? It's just consistency from the quarterback play and just competitiveness. And in the NFL, I'm looking for my Cowboys to be consistent. Okay, that's listen. Let me let me. I'm just looking for my Cowboys to do the daggone thing. I don't care about nobody else. I'm looking for my Cowboys to come out and do what they're supposed to do, and and be the contenders that they are. You know what I'm saying? And and win games they're supposed to win. And I think Dak's confidence is is really is what's driving this team. Because I really think he tells them, bro, it's nobody can see us right now. So I'm just hoping that they continue to have that that um, momentum. Yeah, I'll give your Cowboys a vote of confidence. They're legit. They're the real deal. It's going to work out for them, for sure. Um, and swag, yeah, swag football, looking for consistency as well. It's heating up. And, you know, once you start battling teams in your conference, that's when it really gets real football time mm-hmm. during the season. So it's going to be really interesting to see all that play out. And continue to watch your content. Uh, every time you come on YouTube, it's great. You know, when it's you by yourself, CFO Pod, I really like you and Blue Bloods because y'all both start talking football. It's really interesting. So uh, great stuff ahead, man. I appreciate you being on. Big hey, man. Listen, I, I listen, I appreciate you the first invite. I always appreciate the second invite. And most definitely, let's link these schedules up and get you on the podcast. Hey, you know what? How about you come on the round table? Okay. All right. I could, I could for sure do the round table. Yeah. yeah well, let's, what, let's do that. Let's okay, make that happen. Okay. You, 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 uh, uh, Cause you know, a spotlight, he a little, he a little, uh, fishy, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, his schedule's yeah. a little hectic. So we'd love to get you on the round table, man. Get you up on there. All right. For sure. For sure. So we can make that happen. So you guys stay tuned for that. And 
this episode dropping tomorrow. It's kind of late, but this this is a good one. So y'all y'all listening to this. Always great to talk with Script. Um, I'll see you guys next week. Peace out. Have a great day.